We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here at the last minute. I was already, I was, I woke up with other things to do, but then later on, I got my bearings, and I'm like, this week, we're going to talk about a, a new Bond movie, and Abe's going to be all, you know, I, I wanted to hear his thoughts, but he's not here. We got a work call at the last minute, it sucks. But I have a great set of guests to join us in, in his place. Uh, but yeah, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via Roaster Spore for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 472. 472? Uh-huh. I know, right? And oh, uh, God. Uh-huh. And this week, we are talking No Time to Die, the the James, the James final Daniel Craig James Bond film that we've been waiting a, over a year and a half to get. We we're finally here. It finally debuted, and I'm sure we all have lots of thoughts to talk about in regards to this movie but joining us for no time to die we have from why so blue to him skyfall is forever it's peter paris hey everybody also joining us from rath's reviews from denver with love it's jordan rath i like that intro howdy everybody and from forbes bringing a view to killer box office it's scott mendelson greetings it's a pleasure to be back once again talking about bond again it it is nice to have you and peter and jordan all here how are you guys doing this evening I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing well. Kind of just relaxing on a Sunday. I'm doing well too. Good. I'm I'm glad we're all. Good. Sometimes people are a little more hesitant, you know. But you know, I think I feel like everybody's <laughs> in a good spot right now. So. I'm okay. <laughs> but no, glad to have you all here. I look forward to discussing this Bond movie with y'all. But uh, first up, let's get to some let's get to some show notes. Uh, it is October. Uh, we're right in the thick of October, and that means we have our bonus horror episode content that is coming out on a weekly basis. We've already talked. The theme for this year's, this month's set of horror films is all based off uh, franchises, going over franchises as a whole. So we've already talked about the Candyman series. We talked about the Omen series, which just launched this a couple days ago from this recording. And uh, this coming week, very excited for this one. We've already recorded it. It's really awesome. Uh, we talked about the Final Destination franchise, and we had a special guest, the writer Jeffrey Reddick, who created the series Final Destination. Uh, so uh, get ready, because that's a lot of fun. He was, he was able to join us for the whole show, so he only participated in – he was only involved with the first two films, but we got to talk about all th- all five Final Destination films with him as we went along. So uh, get ready for that. A lot of fun. Uh, coming after that's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, and then we'll be wrapping up the month with a Halloween 2018 commentary track, which will make for our commentary track for the month. So, lots of fun horror-related content on the way. So, yeah, what else? Uh, iTunes reviews and ratings, of course. You, this show is free. We have all this special content that's completely free. All you have to do is log into iTunes, among other places, and you can find our show at Out There and Abe, and if you wanted to. You could give us a rating or review, which would be great. It would pop us up in the old iTunes charts. It would give some more attention to us. And therefore, Abe and I would continue to feel motivated to do this show. That's not true. We're ridiculous. We like doing the show anyway. But still, it would not hurt if we had new ratings and reviews on iTunes. So feel free to log on there. Give us a star rating and maybe write some words. That'd be great. All right. I think that's it for the show notes for now. So let's move on now. Let's get to some Out Now quickies. DM. Each week and Out Now, we only do the quickies. DM. All right. New movies that we see, or other things that we've seen recently. Let, Jordan, let's start with you. You haven't been on for a while. What, what, what have you seen recently that you want to talk about? I've seen a lot. Uh, I got married on the weekend of October 1st. Thank you very much. Uh, and that was the weekend where Hollywood decided to just dump a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so over the last week, I didn't have work, so I spent it catching up with The Guilty, Venom, 
the many saints of Newark and Titan, along with No Time to Die. Not the best lineup for those first four, although I did enjoy the many saints of Newark, and I'm one of those rare people that hasn't seen The Sopranos yet. Uh, so it kind of really makes me want to start The Sopranos, just knowing that it's a prequel, and it. I thought it was pretty good, um, but I know The Sopranos is fairly iconic, so it's kind of lit a fire under my butt to do that. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where you have a movie that can no way capture the greatness of what's regarded as one of the best shows of all time. It's like, well, there's not really a reason not to do this show at this point. Mm-hmm, exactly. So you were not a fan of Titan. Dear sweet lord, no, we shouldn't even go there. <laughs> I, I was I, so excited for it, too. I was like, this is going to be exactly my type of movie. It's going to end up being, like, hyper-violent. I'm going to like where it goes. And uh, there's only, like, four people in my theater, and we all just, at the end of it, exchanged bewildered looks and walked out. Wasn't great. Peter, I want to hear from you, because I know it's one of your favorite films of the year right now. <laughs> yeah, I love I loved. Uh, Agree to disagree. <laughs> is it? I, I, I think Teton. I've gone over so many things of like, how do you say the name of this movie? Um, yeah, I. Uh, I yeah, is it my favorite? No, I think I said, I, I, I said one of. <laughs> I think Green Knight is probably my favorite. So I don't know if Jordan hated that one too. Did you see that, Jordan? <laughs> Saw that, loved it. So we can. Be oh, on you the loved same okay. with that one. There was much I, rejoicing. Uh, yeah, I uh, I really dug Teton. I thought it was. I had no idea. I saw the trailer. But I really had no idea, and I liked Raw. I liked her previous, previous film. Yeah. film. So I, but I really didn't know too much going in, which I thought when I wrote my review, I said that that was, I think, the best way to go in. Um, but yeah, I really, I, I, I really thought it was a, it was just kind of a, you know, um, a cool, you know, visual audio experience. Uh, for myself, and I really liked the performances. I liked the two the two leads. Um, I forgot their names right now, but I thought they were both really good. Um, yeah, Scott, did you see it yet? I did. Uh, I it left me entirely indifferent, to be honest. Um, I mean, I knew what I was getting into in in very broad strokes, and it was like a situation where, okay, I'm totally on board with this story because it's a movie. Who cares? You know, the story that wants to tell the story that wants to tell. For me, I felt it banked a bit too much of its would-be impact in the potentially off-putting gonzo bananas nature of its narrative. And for me, it was a pretty conventionally constructed picture with pretty conventional plot turns in terms of, you know, what actually happens to where, you know, once you are on board with the film story, it didn't, for me, have that much, it, it didn't it, for me, it was like, okay, so what else you got for me? And I would argue that it didn't have much. It's funny, like, I, I have the same exact thoughts about this as I do Possessor, which I, and I like both of those films. Well, I like, but, I, but, agree. But it, I but, agree. But but I agree with you exactly what you're saying. It's not about the fact that it's going places I just don't expect, because it's, the, if you really break down what the story is, it's like, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. But in terms of, like, the, Peter, you said, like, the kind of sensory experience or whatnot, like, I, I dig any film that, you know, basically tries to be new Cronenberg now. And obviously Possessor's made by yeah. Cronenberg's son, so it's like, okay, fine. But this movie, it's like, yeah, it's it's also, do, it's operating on this body horror level where I was just kind of, the the vibe it was throwing at me, I was like, all right, I'm with I'm with this. I, that's that's enough for me to appreciate. So that's our mini review for Titane, apparently, for the, for the horror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and Bringing I can endorsement and, and that, with that said, I can completely understand not liking this movie. Like there's no part of me that's like, everyone's going to love this movie. <laughs> like that's clear that that's not the case. I'm, I'm sad. It was not pulled for cinema score. It's <laughs> I would have loved it. <laughs> it still, it still gets me that it sits alongside other certain prestige movies from the Cane film festival that won the Palme d'Or. <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right, <laughs> that's just the mood they were in this year. Um, Ciao. Uh, Peter, what other movies have you seen? Well, I also, well, I mean, as long as we're, uh, you know, as as we go into our main movie and everything, just to show where we are on the table with our taste and stuff. On the flip side, I I have seen, I've seen the first season of The Sopranos, and then I've seen the finale, and then like bits and parts. I I I, I know it's one of those shows that I need to watch from front to back. And from what I've seen, it's a great show. Um, I did not care for The Many Saints of Newark. Not like uh, not like a think it's I think it's bad or anything. But I had the strange feeling of like it didn't. So, I mean, I guess maybe maybe like Scott's thing with uh, Teton where I felt very indifferent. I was kind of like, wow, it's just as it's just like doesn't feel like there's any reason I needed to spend two hours with these people. Um, I thought, and I also, and I also thought it looked really artificial. One of the things I really, and I again, I know Aaron is big, way bigger in the Sopranos than than I am, but the Sopranos always felt like pretty genuine in its filmmaking. One of the things that distracted me about uh, Saints in Newark was that because it is a period drama, which is you know fine. There is something about, I don't know if it's like the color correction or something, but I was always really aware that everything was really fake. Like none of this is, I, I, again, that, that's okay. I don't mind things being theatrical, but for some reason that was very distracting for me. And I found most of the, most of the leads, except for Vera and Ray Liotta's dual performance characters, performance. Yes. I thought those were standouts for me, but everyone else I thought was kind of generic or something. But anyways, since Jordan did not like Teton, I guess I'm saying <laughs> I'm the person who did not. I just it just was very blah to me. So because as someone that liked Newark without loving it and being a Sopranos fan, despite David Chase being annoyed that he's one of the ones that was annoyed that this was put to HBO Max as well as theaters. He wanted it to be a theatrical thing. If you were to tell me that this was going to be an HBO Max original that was just purely on HBO Max, I would not be surprised. So I agree with you as far as the visual scope of this film doesn't exactly spell ambitious to me. I think it's a good-looking movie, but I, if you know, if it was going to be like essentially a TV movie that's happened to be on their streaming service, it's like I could see that. Like I, I, I could, could see, see that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I've been watching is it's you know it's October, uh, so I've been trying to I try to watch a lot of like uh, scary movies and stuff. So I I have I I got to listen to your podcast, Aaron, because. I, uh, I rewatched the first three Final Destination movies, and and then I've also rewatched because Shout Factory came out with the 4Ks of the first five Halloweens. I've gone through the first three. Um, those I've seen, I you know I think I have a pretty good like I'm a big Halloween fan, but I have to say the second Halloween, um, the I think it's from 1981. I was yeah. never a big fan of, but I really enjoyed it this time. I thought it really. Again, I'm not saying it's as good as Halloween or anything, but like I, I had a pretty good time. So yes, yeah, so I would say Final Destination and Halloween. I am I am enjoying uh, in the spirit of October. 
It's spooky season. Good. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you're in the spirits. Uh, Scott Mendelson, what about you? What have you seen recently? Uh, I saw, excuse me, <clears throat> slight congestion this evening. I apologize. I saw, I saw lamb on Friday oh. just for fun. How is it? Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, it's a kind of horror movie that if I had taken my wife, she probably would have divorced me. Um, because it's it's almost like it plays like a spoof of A24 horror movies in a way that I was very amused by. Uh, I knew very little about it, and I'm grateful for that. See, if you, I, a, I, I hadn't seen it yet, but if you asked me if you thought that Wendy could go and see it, I'd be like, no. You know, I, I told her I was going. I said as a joke, you know, do you want to see the latest, you know, slow burn A24 horror film? And then, <laughs> you know, she she passed. Um, it's it, that's it's a good thing too. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it, it's a very slow burn, and what I like about it is, A, it looks nice, B, it has a very quirky sense of humor, and it knows exactly when to lay what cards on the table when. Um, yeah, and that's all I want to say about it. All right. I'm excited to see uh, it. I've, I missed every chance to screen it, so. Um, we're slowly watching Squid Game just because Wendy's interested, and I figure I might as well. Everyone else is. Um, it's fine. I think again, it's another weird situation where people that don't generally watch this kind of thing inside the box content are like, "Oh my, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen." You know, I, I'm completely ignoring the fact that there were a shit ton of movies that dealt with this two years ago. Um, but anyway, that's not the show's fault. Uh, it's not even Netflix's, Netflix, Netflix's fault. Well, the, the interesting uh, thing I heard was that the people that created it have been pitching the show for 10 years. So it is fitting that it's been covered already in other forms. Yeah. Um, but it's fine. It's I'm enjoying it. Um, we watched uh, VHS 94. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, it, it was a little. It was a little more intimate than I was expecting, but. I think it peaks in the first couple segments, um, but it's a harmless diversion. Um, and I think that might be. Oh, oh, oh! I I rewatched I rewatched Ghostbusters Answer the Call because I I had also I was about to see the new Ghostbusters, which I have, but that one is fine. Whatever, we'll talk about that when the time comes. Um, but the I watched the extended cut of the Paul Feig picture, which I hadn't watched in five years. Um, I still enjoy it. I still I think it's an interesting, you know, divorcing from the reaction that it got both before and after it came out. It really is a situation of Paul Feig looking at the original Ghostbusters and saying the reason this worked is because it was a supernatural blue collar comedy with, you know, four of our finest improv comedians so he made his own version with you know a female cast and found the what he thought were the four best female improv comedians working you know at this point in time and in a vacuum that made perfect sense and it just again shows that the the the, i mean you don't need me to tell you that the reaction was nuts but it is an interesting picture warts and all to watch how it's you know outside of the madness that transpired uh i've seen a few things and i'll be quick because we can move on after this but i saw mass uh this is the fairly acclaimed uh, like festival favorite uh, that was uh, fun. <laughs> it's, it's a laugh right um 
but it's uh, directed by uh, written directed by Fran Kranz, his, de- his debut as a filmmaker. He's generally he's been an actor leading up to this point. Um, features uh, uh, act- four four actors here. We have Jason Isaacs, Ann Dowd, Martha Plimpton, and Reed Burney. Um, two of these character two of these cast members play uh, the parents of a victim of a school shooting, and the other two play the parents of the kid who did the school shooting before committing suicide himself uh for a movie that's you know confined to a single space and focuses on four characters having you know conversations and arguments with each other for about 140 minutes it's surprisingly not based off of a play it's just a movie that's written straight up for the screen um with that said like it's very minimal and it's not inherently cinematic but the performances are engaging I am not as big on Mass as I know other people are as far as championing it for awards or what have you. I can chalk that largely up to I just I couldn't find myself getting as emotionally invested as I think others did but based off whatever it may be, personal experience, religion, this film is very Catholic heavy, um, any number of things. But I mean, I, I it's the kind of film where I can certainly admire what's going on with the actors and what they're putting into it and what the writing is trying to do um and i certainly don't think it's a bad movie it's just not one that like is going to stick with me in the same way i think other films that i tend to find more powerful could be but mass it's uh, it's out now in select theaters and uh, i think the subject matter and the, and the performances are like are, are worth it's if certainly if you find that kind of drama to be your speed um the other thing i'll mention is batman the long halloween this is the oh. Warner's animated take on one of my favorite Batman graphic novels, The Long Halloween. It was a two-parter, um, but they put it on HBO Max, both parts. So I'm like, good, I can finally watch all of this in one go. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, these Warner animated DC properties, some I wouldn't say necessarily hit or miss because they're generally pretty good. But some are just, I don't know, less engaging to me than others. And especially ones that are based off comics that I've read. It can be a mixed bag sometimes this one i think they did a really good job i think they did proper justice to this comic they made some changes which surprised me which was nice because it's not just watching pages adapted word verbatim um there's efforts to extend it so it can be two full lengths which just means basically more batman action sequences which i'm not necessarily against but uh no i i've is in the realm of these movies i i enjoyed it quite a bit but, uh, scott did you see this one yes i enjoyed it quite a bit actually um i also Really, really liked the Long Halloween. The, you know, the, the, the I read it in you know graphic novel you know, about twenty years ago, give or take. Um, and this is a pretty solid adaptation that also works as its own, you know, standalone crime drama that involves Batman and his Rose Gal. You know, it's it's basically, you know, I mean, it's no secret that bits and pieces of the Dark Knight were heavily taken from Very this. Much so, yeah. Um, but, you know, you take from what works <laughs> and it's a very strong story. And I think it's to their credit that they knew what to f- change just to make it a little bit different. But they also didn't mess with what worked. Yeah, exactly. And I the way it utilizes the rogues gallery, because there's a very specific there's a, there's a specific time in Batman's history. This film, this story occupies. And I really like how it. It's basically transitioning a lot of the crime elements, which is what the Dark Knight is doing, to these kind of supervillains that are within his category. And I think that's clever in a way where I don't think Hush is, for example, which is just a who's who of Batman's villains coming one by one to challenge Batman for whatever reason. Um, so no, The I, Super Nintendo game we all love. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I quite enjoyed The Long Halloween. Okay, 
that's a lot. That's a lot of quickies. That's it. TM. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get some trailer talk. We're talking about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, when we thought of it, what have you. This week we're talking The 355. This is an upcoming action spy film from director Simon Kinberg of everyone's favorite X-Men film and uh, written by Teresa Rebic and Kinberg as well. It features Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz, Fan Bingbing, and then, and then there's also men in this cast, Sebastian Stan and Edgar Ramirez co-star as well. I will just read the brief synopsis that we have here. A CIA agent teams up with other international agents to recover a top-secret weapon. The title is derived from Agent 355, a female spy for the Patriots during the American Revolution. So, Scott, I know you've written about this ad nauseum. I know we've certainly probably mentioned this in various forums in our writing or what have you between the, the other set of us here. But this is a spy action movie that's basically an original IP focused on female characters as opposed to just adding someone to an IP mix and saying, go with it. So with all of that in mind, Peter, I want to start with you. Are you excited for this 355? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I, well, it's funny. It's funny because um, I'm watching Why the Last Man and in Why the Last Man, they also have the 355. I mean, in that 355 is just one character. Yeah. It's the same thing, though. It is this. Yeah. A field operative that um, basically takes orders directly from the president. And so when I hit the trailer, I was like, wait, I was like, this is that same. Um, it's a good it's a really good cast um, all around. But I mean, the trailer uh, to go back to my Newark thing, I, I guess it just felt like very generic again. I was just like, eh, I was like, there's really nothing here, except that I do like the cast and not to be, I guess, uh, gender to say that it's gender, uh, not gender specific, but it's like a another version of a gender thing. But like the whole part of the trailer where it looks like they're going to some swanky event and they got to do these things. I was like, wait, isn't this the ocean? Was it Oceans 8? Was that what the... Yeah, with, that the, what with, the, with the Met Gala. Yeah, I was like, isn't this the same thing? Like, I mean, which that's not necessarily bad. Um I don't know. I just, yeah, I thought it was okay. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a much of a reaction. It's really weird. I really like Jessica Chastain, but strangely, I do not think I have seen, and Aaron, you know what I've seen, so maybe I'm forgetting, but I don't think I've, even though she's an actress that I like, that I'm always like, oh, I look forward to seeing her and stuff. I don't know if I've watched any of her kind of like genre stuff because she also she, didn't she do was it like ava was that like a year or two ago and that yeah. was on netflix i never you, saw that you saw it's it like... chapter one and or chapter two of course <laughs> oh, right you're right okay sure uh but i, I guess i meant more this this like this kind yeah. of yeah they're like her tr- think, like trashy yeah. b action movies like the, the, yeah it feels yeah. like but i would i like her as an actress so i'm like i don't know why i don't, don't get excited for these like so and i like lapita and um, wait, who else is in the cast? Remind me again. Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz, Fan Bingbing. Yeah, they're all. I mean, oh, I don't know the last one. What have I seen her in anything? There's a Pacific Rim movie, I think, in there. There's a. Uh, there's okay, a, yeah, there's yeah, Is there? Yeah. A, what is it? There's an X Men in there. There's a. Yeah. She's also. She's, she's one of those where I'm like, she's been in plenty of Chinese films, but also gets like. Put in, it's basically like the kind of the, the quota to fill for like Hollywood blockbusters that need to play in China. That seems like part of the requirements yeah. that they've used her in for um, serious movies. Also, you just said everyone's favorite X-Men. So Simon, he's a producer for a long time, right? And then he yeah. finally 
directed his first, which was uh, the, the Phoenix, the X-Men movie, and, right? I mean, if you want to read into it, there's probably reasons why he ended up directing Dark Phoenix and not somebody else. <laughs> but, um... Right, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't know, I was pretty, eh. I mean, if one of you ends up seeing it and you're like, oh man, it's really good, you should check it out. I'll be like, alright, like, I just, yeah, at this point, we are, we are so inundated, especially with streaming, with so many, uh, you know, pulpy action movies with name stars there's so many of them um like that i sort of have to hear like it's either a brand i already like like john wick or it has to be like oh you should check this out because there's there's just so many of them i i feel like maybe i'm wrong so fair enough jordan how about you where are your thoughts on the 355 uh not much different i thought the trailer was actually pretty snazzy i was digging the action being mapped to the music but i'm a sucker for that Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also one of those that it's a trailer where I want there to be a bunch of aces hidden up its sleeve, uh, but it's probably going to go the way Peter was talking about in terms of being fairly generic. And then, yeah, just the director of X-Men Dark Phoenix doesn't ring super well as a tagline, so they clearly left that out. But I'm, well, I mean, it'd be it'd be nice if it was a pleasant surprise. I have a feeling it won't be, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Scott, I think it looks fine. It looks pretty much this very similar to the trailer we saw a year ago, back when this was supposed to be January 2021. Yeah, this was notably um, delayed before COVID was a problem. Yeah, which is um, <laughs> no, no. Actually, to be fair, I mean it, it was positioned as the first biggie of January 2021, and the Universal slow, you know, we'll we'll give you movies, but let us put them on VOD quickly deal of 2020 and 2021. But probably for international reasons, this one then got pushed to next. You know, it's going to be January 7th. Yeah. Which I guess means it's a horror movie. I'm confused. Are you saying, um, are you saying the current release date? It's it's 15th. for the. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, or no, sorry. It is the 7th. The 15th was the original release date. It's the 7th. It's weird because yeah. like the Scream or whatever the hell it's going to be called. Scream. Scream. Is actually. Scream. Yeah. Whatever. Scream. <laughs> um, you know, that, that should be the first film in, in January since it is a horror movie. So none of this makes sense. But anyway, the film, it looks fine. I mean. It's the kind of film we all say we want more of and then don't see it and say what you will about Netflix. But from what I gather, you know, even their, you know, female driven action pictures are basically here and gone in a week. You know, Gunpowder Milkshake was like number one for the first week and then gone a week after that. Same thing with Kate. We'll see if it actually holds up again. Um, And quality notwithstanding, I mean. My thing is always that if you want more stuff like this, they don't – you can't demand that they be four-star masterpieces. Um, not to get on that tangent again. I think it looks fine. But, Scott, I mean, all the not, Liam Neeson films are always four-star masterpieces. That's why no one complains about them. Except for the one on Netflix, which was not good. <laughs> Go figure. Um, you know, the, the you know, Snowplow one or whatever. Mr. Plow. Mr. Plow. It was Mr. Plow. There's no other title for yeah. it. It was Mr. Plow. <laughs> Um, but no, I don't have that much to say about this one. I mean, it's, 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 it is an original picture with a bunch of actresses that the internet likes to quote unquote stan. So will they show up when they're not just supporting characters in a comic book movie? I don't know, especially with COVID being still on the prowl, so to speak. Um, but it has Sebastian Stan in it. So clearly that will help. 
Exactly. And if it does well, I'm sure he'll get all the credit. Um, or we'll find out that Universal wants to do a spinoff with just his character. Um, <laughs> God, I just will not make existence. Shit. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. I, I think it's... I'm hoping it will be fun because there's often a, a bad habit of female-driven action pictures where everybody is very sad and depressed and morose about their life choices. Uh, you know, Kate... Um, Ava, Ava, whatever, whatever Peppermint. Peppermint, good God, yes. Uh, that was one of the things I liked about the protege, Martin Campbell's picture. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, at no point is Maggie Q made to feel guilty about her uh, occupation of choice. And and the fact that Michael Keaton somehow still looks like he's early 40s. Uh, whatever that guy eats and or exercises, I want some. It's the sandworms uh, from Beetlejuice, that's what he eats. It's worth it, dear God. Um... He's like too young to be old Bruce Wayne now. Um, anyway, I'm digressing. What are your thoughts? I don't have many things to take away from the from the the muted takes that you guys have already provided out there. I I agree that in terms of like the concept and what have you, it's like okay, cool, let's see how that goes. But in terms of like what the execution looks like so far, uh, I agree with Jordan. I do think the action could be worthwhile just based off of how it might be edited together. But in terms of I guess the fun factor of this, I, I'm hoping that there's more to it than what we've seen so far, because even in the trailer alone, it feels like three or four families are being threatened with all this. So it's like, okay, so everyone's going to be under duress. That's that's just not as much fun as it could be to watch, you know, a team-up movie featuring a variety of attitudes from different people from around the world. Like, that idea is like, cool, okay, can, can we do something with that? And... I don't know. And, you know, saying Simon Kinberg's directing doesn't exactly think like, oh, yeah, that's definitely going to you know work in its favor. Like, it's like, OK, well, let's, let's see how that goes, I guess. And of course, the January release date is also not a strong side of the most confidence, but you never know. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, I don't not too much else. I will say for it's worth. I very much enjoyed Bing Bing and the Mac. Um, oh, yeah. She, she's <laughs> she and Jason Statham were made for each other in that movie. Right. Is that the that was absolutely. The, yeah. Um, are they it's in... the closest thing he's got to an age-appropriate love interest probably ever again. <laughs> They're making Meg 2 Super Meg, right? They are. I'm looking forward to who's, who's, it. So Even though someone I mean, got attached to Who's directing, directing that one? It. <laughs> Which, I mean, I like the guy, but one of the things I liked about the Meg is, is I think John Turtletub being an old-school Hollywood vet brought a certain, you know, I know what the hell I'm doing in terms of nuts and bolts studio filmmaking polish to it. I mean, oh. but like Ben Wheatley with like Free Fire, I mean, they could bring like a laid back quality to like, we're just a bunch of people yeah. hanging out with this giant shark on our ass. So like, we can see what happens. Um. Anyway, that's the, that's the Meg. Uh, we're talking about the 355, we're which Megan. comes out uh, January 7th, 2022. So be ready for that, I guess. Uh, hopefully we <laughs> All right, let's move on now. Let's get to the main event here. Let's talk about our film of the week, No Time to Die. Fate draws us back together. Now your enemy is my enemy. His name is Safin. And what does he want? Revenge. Me. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. You can imagine why I've come back to play. There's a young lady in Santiago I want you to meet. You're late. When you're ready. Salute. I met your new double O. She's a disarming young woman. 
I get why you shot him. Yeah, well, everyone tries at least once. James Bond. We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little tidier. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for No Time to Die. Due to the pandemic, No Time to Die is arriving six years after Spectre, tying the gap between License to Kill and Goldeneye for the longest gap between Bond releases. Many things in the world have changed, but Bond seems to be going back to what he knows. As the 25th entry in the series, Daniel Craig's era is coming to an end, but he begins begins the film out of the spy game. Eventually finding a reason to cut certain ties and get back into action, much of the plot focuses on James's trying to track down whoever's responsible for a deadly weapon being in the wild, although the parties responsible may have closer ties than he realizes. Jordan, you've just gone through a, a whole watch for the first time of the entire Bond series. You've already, you're already familiar with the Craig films, but you watched all of the other Bonds leading up to this moment. And now, now you've finally seen this film. So I, I, I'm curious, beyond just your initial thoughts on No Time to Die... Are you are you satisfied with like this Craig era in comparison with like all you've you've learned in the in the month in the year leading up to this movie? Yeah, I mean this Bond journey has been. I figured it out today because I was uh, finishing my post about it. I've been doing it for a year and a half. Because at the very start of COVID, Amazon Prime had like free Bond films, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna start this, and then they were no longer free, so I had to rent a bunch of Bond films. But that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm very satisfied with the Craig era. I find that, I mean, a lot of it is because those are the movies that I think I really like in general is just kind of a little bit more serious. There is some fun stuff, but I enjoyed the style that he brought. But I also just think that um, his stories being mostly interconnected with something that I maybe didn't know that I missed from other Bond uh, actors. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, I remember when I was watching On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was a surprisingly really good Bond film, just poor actor. I was really impressed where they went with the story and then you get to Diamonds Are Forever and then it was like, Let's just ignore everything we've ever done in the last <laughs> film. And that, I mean, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And it was like, you guys had this awesome setup and you threw it away. And then you made, I, Diamonds Are Forever is my least favorite Bond film by a pretty considerable margin. So you're, you're not wrong. Down. <laughs> yeah, it was boring, um, among other things. So I really appreciate the, appreciated that about the Craig era um, because I think, that was something that just hadn't been done before. And I I kind of hope it's the new norm. I think now uh, we all know that probably four to five films is the sweet spot once uh, Moore and Connery kind of stayed in a little too long with seven. So I don't think that any actor will get to a point where it just feels like it's episodic almost. Um, So I hope whatever they do next in terms of, next actor or if they decide to continue this cast or something like that i hope that it continues to be kind of interconnected stories throughout so general thoughts on this movie specifically yeah general thoughts on this one um 
I think the easiest way I can put it is it's not my favorite Bond film, but it's definitely up there. I really enjoyed it. I think I like the character of Bond so much, and I grew up with the Pierce Brosnan films and then the Daniel Craig films, and I always thought James Bond was such a cool character. Um, him and Ethan Hunt inspire a lot of my action writing, if that's not obvious. So I really enjoy the character. I think there's a lot of stuff this movie could have done better, uh, but I was willing to kind of forgive a lot easier just because it was under the James Bond title. The villain obviously is, I think, I think pretty much everything that is not centered around Craig's Bond's journey was, we'll call it okay slash good. Mm -hmm. um, it was pretty underwritten and it was pretty, I think, more generic than I thought. And there wasn't as much tie back to the, past four films specifically i thought i i kind of thought that there's gonna be something super heavily tied to casino royale and i don't think it's super spoilers to say there's not really like it doesn't really connect back to that film in a super big way mm -hmm. but that's okay um because i really enjoyed the rest of it and then i enjoyed the journey of his bond through this film we won't go into spoilers obviously but i, I think that it took a lot of surprising turns that i really enjoyed even if it almost felt like some of them, I was like, yeah, it makes sense that they're going to do this. It's not like totally unexpected. Uh, and then on top of that, I thought this was honestly just a really well-made film. Uh, you have a Hans Zimmer score. The cinematography I thought was really good, even though it wasn't Roger Deakins. It was uh, Linus, Linus Sandgren, Sandgren yeah. doing mm -hmm. his best Roger Deakins impression. And then I really enjoyed the action. I think one of the things from Spectre that, uh, I just kind of like didn't buy was his relationship um, with, I always butcher her name, Leah Sadu. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, nice. Nailed it. Um, but I thought they did a really good job this time. I, I don't know if they'll ever hit the like Vesper Bond relationship status, obviously, but I was buying it a lot more this time. Um, and I think that helped really sell some of the other aspects of the, the film a lot better. Uh, and then you have... Anna de Armas, who I basically demand a spinoff with her character immediately um, because she was a ton of fun. And I don't know, I almost just <laughs> want a movie series with her. But yeah, in general, I think it ended the Bond franchise really well for Craig in particular, even if kind of the story around it was good slash decent. All right. I uh, I so I've been I've been reading your various Bond recaps, obviously, because I comment on the when you post them. I hadn't read this one, so I'm I'm uh, <laughs> I was excited to hear what you had to what to think about this this <laughs> this, uh, this latest Bond movie. But uh, Peter, uh, I know you you are you are a Bond fan as well. You've seen various chapters. I, I know there's one or two you might not have seen. But where where have you been? Where have you been with the the Daniel Craig era? And what do you think of this film? I've seen it twice, and the first time I was kind of disappointed. But I think I had kind of a bad viewing experience because I had really bad – my seats were weird and I couldn't understand the dialogue, like was really bassy and stuff. Um, like Shirley Basie? Right, Shirley Basie. Not to spoil, but, you know, <laughs> if you've seen a James Bond movie, you you know, you're going to get big speeches from the villain. And there is a – there is a, there's a little speech that Rami Valek gives at the end. And I had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> I was like, wait, what's he saying? I think I get what this is. Um, so I, before I did the review, I was like, well, I really should see this again. Like, um, 
So I saw it again and I really liked it. Um, I would say I have not rewatched a lot of the Bonds in a while. Um, so I probably would should probably do a rewatch, but at this it, at this point, it might be my second favorite. Uh, my favorite is Skyfall, and then I really I really like Casino Royale a lot. I sometimes don't love it as much as I think a lot of other people uh, do, but I still think it's really good. But I think the reason I would put this one above Casino Royale, even though I do love the Vesper uh, relationship. I was surprised how emotionally invested I was throughout the movie. And one of the other things I think that is kind of a neat trick that the movie does is that while it's a really good showcase for Daniel Craig, um, you know, it's like he really he's really like present in this movie. I I'm not a huge Spectre fan. I think Spectre is aesthetically very beautiful, um, but I'm never really in to Spectre. And I feel like Craig's. I don't think Craig's ever given a bad performance, but if I had to, I would say that like he he's not he doesn't seem as invested when the script isn't there as much. And I don't think it was with Quantum or uh, Spectre. And in this one, I just I just really thought that Craig really, really brought his A game. But what's kind of interesting about that is that normally when you say that you would be like, oh, okay, so he's he's the star. That's the reason to see the movie. And while I mean, that's true. I'm surprised, I, and I, I guess I'm disagreeing a little with Jordan here. I am surprised at how much th- there's a generosity to Craig's performance of everybody else in the movie gets nice moments. Uh, and I would agree with Jordan too that I really thought that the relationship with Leah Sadu uh, worked a lot better. It's really weird. I can't think of a, I can't think of an example where. There's a there's a lot of story stuff in one version, and I'm like, nah, this is okay, which is kind of like what Spectre was. And then you take it, you really you you like instead of shying away from it because critics didn't love Spectre, they like just double down or like, nope, this is we're still going forward. And I think they somehow made it work for me, which is really surprising. And you know, you meant he mentioned Ana de Armas. Yeah, her her scene's fantastic. But I also like um is it Lashana Lynch? Is yeah. that her name? I think that's it. I think she's really good. I think Jeffrey Wright has a nice turn. I think everybody it's a it's an interesting balance. I mean, in a way, that's sort of what Cruise does with the Mission Impossibles, where it's like, yes, it's the Tom Cruise show, but the supporting cast still has a lot of fun. And I was surprised. I was like, wow, this is pretty well balanced. Um and I thought yeah, I don't know. It just it really worked for me. Like I'm I'm being, I'm going to be very curious to see where where this ends up being ranked in the years to come. But there's a, a lot of good set pieces. Last thing I want to say though, as much as I liked it, um Aaron, you have a thing. I feel like you're the first person um that I know that said this, but I'm sure. When I forgot what was it Suicide Squad? There's a thing where you started you started kind of mentioning the notion of Jai Courtney shows up. It's like, oh, great, that guy. I'm sort of having that vibe, even though he doesn't bring the movie down to. Is it is it uh, Billy Jesse? Mag- Hes- Billy, Mag- Billy Magnuson. Yeah, that guy. He is so like playing the same freaking role every time. And he's got that same stupid smirk that it dr- even though I thought he was great in. Um, was it Ingrid Goes West? I thought he yeah. was terrific. I was like, oh, who's this guy? Like, uh, and now I'm like, when he shows up in this movie, I was like, I know exactly where this character's going. And like, uh, so I thought so that was a little ding to me. It's just the casting, but eh. But no, I thought it was, 
I mean, it felt like an A minus, like to me. I I think I even kind of want to see it again. So I mean, that's like a positive thing, I think. <laughs> and now we'll go to Scott. No, <laughs> Scott. Scott, you um, you're also a noted Bond fan, and you've uh, you've practically uh, forced yourself your way onto this podcast. Uh, I I want to know <laughs> now that you've seen you've seen. I'm kidding. Uh, you're you're welcome here. I'm happy to have you on. But now that you've seen this final entry in the in the the Craig era of films, which I know you've had your share of ups and downs with. What what do you where where are you at with 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 both his tenure as well as this movie? Well, I I think like Pierce Brosnan's tenure, I think he's good even if the films are not, and I think the choices the the to a certain extent the attempts to expand the horizons of what a James Bond film happens to be are worthwhile even if they don't always work from movie to movie. As far as this one, I was the very definition of mixed on it. Uh, I've seen it twice. I enjoyed it a little bit more the second time. Well, you guys have two well, times to die. I've only seen it once so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, you know, sort of realizing the stuff that really bugged me. Um, but to start with the positive, um, I think the first 90 minutes of this movie are a perfectly enjoyable three-star romp in terms of it's it's it wants to be a somewhat conventional James Bond film in the, you know, Piers Brosnan, Roger Moore vein without really straining itself in a, gee, aren't we being quirky and funny now kind of way that I think Spectre kind of did here and there. Because there was a, when that film came out, there was a lot of, oh, this one's going to be more like the Roger Moore films, blah, blah, blah. And I, it's, it, I mean, that film is terrible for a number of reasons, but... Um, I wanted more time with supporting cast because they're really good and I like their relationships. I like how Craig plays off of Ben Wishaw. I like how he plays off of uh, Naomi Harris. Um, I had, I think he had exactly enough screen time with Ray Fiennes. That's not a ding on Fiennes. I liked the vaguely competitive nature of their relationship in this picture because it's not really Boston subordinate anymore. And without really doing the whole, ooh, M is, you know, flirting with the dark side, so not really what happened. It, it does play in a, in a fun way with that character in terms of his participation in the story. Um, and, of course, the stuff in Cuba is great. I mean, it's, that's, the, you know, what, a 10, 15-minute, you know, mini-movie that's just spectacular. Uh, Ana de Armas is a blast, you know, they could have just made her a conventional, strong female character that looks great and kills people. But instead, they made her really quippy and funny, like a, you know, overeager. She's a fan. She's basically like a James Bond fan that gets to be in a James Bond movie for like 10 minutes and just, you know, leaves it all on the table. Um, and they both and handle to, a lot of alcohol well. Yes. Um that was great. Yeah, they all drink a lot in this movie, which is neither good nor bad. It's just interesting. You got to pay those Heineken um, commercial bills. Exactly. Um, it's it's one of the first Bond movies in a while where I've realized, wow, he might have an alcohol problem. Um, but and obviously Jeffrey Wright is fun, and it's nice seeing Craig's Bond with a friend in just you know being chummy in a social setting. Obviously, there's work related reasons, but nonetheless. Um, 
and even I enjoyed how Blofeld was used relatively sparingly. I think that's a scene that really leans into the, I don't know, is it is it full on camp or is it just a little cheeky? But frankly, I think I think once the film goes from being a, a, a James Bond film in an extract to being a sequel to Spectre, I think it really loses me. Um, I admire that it didn't just discard all the Spectre stuff. Um, in, in a vacuum, I'm glad they did that. You know, it's it's a nice change of pace from the whole, we're not counting the sequels that nobody liked. Uh, uh, uh. Like, no, we, we, we made this, this film and we're going to stand by the choices that were made in it. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the core romantic relationship, the core emotional arc of this film is in a romance that didn't work for me, Inspector, and doesn't work for me now. And that's, you know, no fault of, of the actress, but, you know, Craig and, and excuse me, Bond and Dr. Swan have very little romantic and or sexual chemistry. Um, and it's a problem when she's supposed to be his, you know, forever woman, if you will, you know, uh, um, and... The third act, and I don't know why, if it's rewrites or just reshoots or stuff being deleted, but for me, the third act is a mess. It's it, The action is redundant. Um, he literally has to go and do a thing twice. Um, Rami Malek is barely in the movie, and most of what he says is very generic monologuing. And while his, his goals and ambitions are very specific in the first half of the film, we really don't get any real sense of what he's going to do and why he wants to do the big you know, doomsday, wreck the world scenario that he has planned. Um, I don't have any problem with the climax. You know, We'll get into that when the time comes. Uh, I think it plays fair. And, okay, that's the choice they wanted to make, and that's fine. Um, the first time I saw the film, I was in the, gee, I didn't like this much at all train. The second time, I'm able to appreciate the stuff that works, which is mostly the first hour, if I'm being generous, the first 90 minutes. But for me, the, the third act just really goes off the rails, trying to fit the James Bond series, you know, sort of fitting a, a, a circle into a square peg. And I think my issue is that they they're trying to be unconventional and not what you expect from a bond film but a to a certain extent people like the bond films because they're bond films that's one of the reasons they've stuck around for 60 years and the other thing is that i think they swap bond tropes for other clichés from other movies that are no less that are in some ways worse or in some ways just as regressive if not more regressive than the stuff that they're trying to fix and I will stop with that. I um, I mean, I could just say I disagree with you in a lot of ways, but I, I'll I'll save that for when we get to more specifics. But I, I I like this movie. Um, yeah. I will also say at by the end of this movie, I was thinking I just want to go home and watch another Bond movie right now because I want to get into a better mind space as far as kind of where to go from here. Uh, because there's ones that I can just put on very easily and just watch them and just have them because I really like Bond movies. Um, this movie. I mean, if I'm coming right after you, Scott, as far as what you've just said, I think what I like about this one, by comparison to Spectre, a film that I'm not high on, I know you don't like it at all, I just think it's fine compared to, you know, it's not. I don't think it's bad, I just think it's like, eh, it exists. Yeah. I think this movie, what it does better uh, is the fact that I do think it embraces the Bond brand a lot more, where I think Spectre was going out of its way to 
seemingly take option C any chance it could compared to A or B as far as how to get Bond out of a certain scenario. This film, it feels like it's very compatible with the Bond brand, while also respecting what the Daniel Craig era has tried to do for the character, which is not necessarily rewrite him, but certainly establish him in a certain way and set him on a trajectory that, as Jordan, you've pointed out already, is very kind of consistent as a point A to point B to point C kind of starting and be and, and ending point. There's, you know, looking back on this series now with this film in mind, it's interesting to, like, track James Bond's arc in this. I don't think it necessarily always makes sense because there's two movies where he's, like, fresh and new and then three movies where he's old and wants to retire. But I think with this movie, I, I do, when I look at it as a whole, I, I do like that there's there's an actual arc for his character and the way it, you know, the way it kind of sets itself up to end this time around. It fits given what I've seen. Yet, uh, Corey, uh, Carrie uh, uh, Fukunaga, he, st- my, what I take away from him, and problems notwithstanding, is that he really likes Bond movies. Like, it seems like he really does, where I, you know, I'm sure Sam Mendes likes Bond movies, but watching Spectre, you'd think, yeah, but what if we just didn't do a lot of this and did this other ways? <laughs> despite, despite it being a fairly Roger Moore-influenced Bond story, the directorial choices in that movie just seemed so kind of off center at times or whatnot. Where this movie just feels like it wants to, it wants to play along. It wants to have like it, like that first hour, especially Scott, as you as all of you guys were mentioning. Basically, there's so much fun to be had in just watching Bond do his thing while still being in a mode that comes off of what the previous film had to offer. As a whole, I agree that Daniel Craig I think is great in this movie. I think I, I mean I. I would say Casino Royale is still his like defining performance as Bond, just because it's so fresh and he has a lot of different things to tackle for being an author, you know, getting into the game. But I do think he's he's at least at his best doing this kind of thing again in this movie. I think it that, and I think that goes a long way as far as how much I'm willing to accept when the story is not up to par with what he's delivering. At the same time, I also think, and I agree, Peter, you mentioned this. I think that the handling of Leah Sadu's character this time around with him is much better than Spectre. And I'm trying not to make this just a, like why this is better than Spectre thing, but it's hard not to because this movie's directly following Spectre. But I do think that, yes, I think that relationship, which is very central to this story, I think it works a lot better this time around. I agree with you, Scott, that they don't, at least in that previous one, they didn't have a lot of chemistry working between them because when that when that aspect of that film arrived, I was like, oh, that's what we we're going? It seemed a lot more <laughs> like mentory or sibling-y, and okay, it's going to be a love interest thing. This time, I feel like I just wasn't concerned with it. It's either because it just wore me down, like how the Purge films eventually wore me down with being concerned with the plot, and I was just like, alright, fine, whatever, let's just do this. But Or I just bought into the what the actors were doing with this movie more this time around, but like, I don't know, I just, I dug how, if they're trying to make that the kind of spine of the story, that relationship, I, I thought it worked better this time into the, you know, how to make that kind of function throughout this film is something that's giving me emotionally connected to what's taking place. That said, you're absolutely, I mean, all you guys are absolutely right about the supporting cast. Uh, Scott, you're saying you want more of them, but it's like, well, they all delivered exactly what they're supposed to and did a great job of doing it. So, like, what does more mean? You want, like, a three-and-a-half-hour movie just so you can have more screen time? I mean, I I, I, think... I want more of them and less of Craig running around huffing and puffing in the end. Well... I like seeing Craig Huff around puffing at the end because I do think the first I, few times, yes, I do. I think there is more variety in the action than you're giving credit for in that third act. I mean, there's a whole like one shot sequence that Fukunaga puts in this thing for you know because why not? Let alone 
other things that take place. But if you're just saying there's a lot of people using guns, sure, that happens. It's a Bond movie. I don't yeah. know. Regardless, the supporting cast in this movie, I, I think there's, I, for one thing, I think there's just enough of all of them. I do think they, they add what the, what is needed and then get out before it either gets old or you start to realize that you could use more of this and less of that. Uh, with like maybe a few exceptions, because I do think Rami Malek, I don't think he's necessarily bad. I just think he's delivering, he's delivering what he's being told, and I think he's doing it in a way that fits the vibe. But there's just not a lot of like, what's his, what, what's his deal? <laughs> like, by the end yeah, of, like, what, <laughs> I don't remotely blame him. What, what's his deal in this? He's... Like, what's, what's the gain by the end of this thing? I do wonder what the kind of construction of this, like say he wins i don't know what i don't know what the next is i don't know dot 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 what what then what what happens after that i don't i don't i can't answer that question uh but outside of that it's like yeah he plays you know another bond villain with a face scar or whatever you know and it's like okay good for like whatever uh but the rest of this cast yeah i mean uh jeffrey wright i think is having a blast of this movie and i i it's the the emo the emotional tension i had as far as like seeing where things start to go with him and other characters i was like okay i i if this is like the finale for this craig stuff i like that it makes certain decisions that you know have an effect in the way that they're supposed to i i don't think <laughs> anything is out of place as far as how you're supposed to feel when certain things take place throughout this movie um i do think the action's quite strong as i mentioned but i do think yeah the the first couple of action scenes especially i think really work well i mean the the cold open is very long but also it's like there's a lot of fun stuff in there and yeah that whole cuba sequence i think is a ter just a terrific mini bond film overall yeah i i don't like this film quite as much as casino royale or skyfall i think those two are they do the job uh but i do think as a finale for a bond series about series of bond entries for a certain actor this is much better than diamonds are forever it's a lot better than <laughs> die another day it's a lot better than a view to a kill so good on you daniel craig because you managed to get out of out of the world of bond uh, i think looking up high i think i think you've d done a fine job in all of this uh all right so <laughs> we've got, we got a lot of opinions uh, uh going around in here um <laughs> peter I, I, since you seem to have a lot of counters to scott because i think you're maybe the highest on this any any specific thoughts you have in response to, to something scott's bring up to kind of get us going well i mean you know you kind of already did it where when scott was talking about the cast because i was like like do would i have loved more of anna de armas or jeffrey wright i'm like yeah i would but i feel like each perf each member of the supporting cast gets a good moment and it's already two hours and 43 minutes. So I was <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like I, 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 I really like the scenes, you know? So I will, Oh, one thing I will say, um, Rami Malek, I think is, is he's underused sort of one of the things I kind of like about the movie is that, and I don't think this is a huge spoiler or anything is that in a way, this isn't really a James Bond movie where the villain sort of like how in every Spider-Man movie, the villain basically just wants to destroy Spider-Man. Like that's their plan. It's not money. It's like, I want to kill Spider-Man in this weirdly. It's not really about bond. It, it, it by the last act, it all yeah, kind I mean, of, it's rarely about bond in other bond movies either. It's about yeah. world domination. Or whatever. Well, I mean, in Skyfall, which is my favorite one. I mean, it's, pretty much all about that idiot and and inspector too 
And we, so those are two movies I have very different opinions on. Those movies are very much about we are zeroing in on who is James Bond and why this person wants to mess with them. Wouldn't you say? I mean, well, I mean, in that I think respect, those films made a specific attempt to make the villain more personalized in line with what franchise movies looked like at that point in time. But if you want to look at 60 years of Bond, for the most part, Bond just gets involved because that's his mission this time around. And he has to stop a bad guy from doing a bad thing. I guess, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're, I just, you're, you're pointing to the exceptions to the rule as your examples. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. I just, I, but I guess for some reason, so that's why it doesn't, that's why the second time Malik's basic, basically, except for that opening, he's basically not in the movie for like the first, the, for Scott's 90 minutes that he's talking about. Basically, he's not really there, but I don't really miss him. And then I kind of felt, I actually think that, Malik, I don't, and again, I don't want to get into spoilers of the last act, but I think that Malik, what he gets to do at his, basically at his lair, you know, at the, at the, at the villain's lair, I think he gets to do some good stuff, you know? Um, I don't know. I, another thing, another thing I like too. Wait, hold on, know, hold on. Before we bounce away from that, Jordan, okay. I want to hear your, more of your thoughts oh. on Malik, but I, I will say, <laughs> I, I don't, again, I don't, and you agree with me. I don't think he's bad, but for a guy that has like a super villain base and, you know, notable facial features and a certain, you know, a, 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 a fucking Halloween mask for kicks. It feels like this guy should just be doing more, right? I mean, I it just feels like he's, he should have something to hand to to, like, add to this beyond a backstory that has no connection to Bond whatsoever beyond happenstance. I just there, there's just something missing there. So by the time he gets to like a big monologue. Honestly, I was just bored. It's like, I, like the movie's done so little for him so far. By the time I'm getting to his big plan, it's like, whatever. Like, just, just, just let's just get through it. But Jordan, any any additional thoughts on, on Malik here? Uh, I think I strangely kind of agree with both of you. I I think that's maybe where my disappointment from the lack of because the way a lot of the trailers were selling this was, oh my god, it connects everything, and I kind of suspected that would be Rami Malek's character and in a way I'm almost glad it didn't I, I know there's a bunch of I mean talk about him being Dr. No and all of this type of stuff and which my my dad I saw this with my dad dad's a movie corner he thought it was pretty great uh but he was very he very much thought it was like this is a lot like Dr. No that was like his yeah. uh, that was his big thought there's like this is a lot of Dr. No in I mean it. the internet was convinced they were like once you give him scarring obviously he's gonna be Dr. No so I was glad they didn't go down that route but I almost almost to Scott's point as well like I wonder if on the cutting room floor is some sort of connection or backstory of how he got so powerful but I also agree with Peter's point of like Part of me wonders if that's what will help this film age a little bit better is it's so less villain centric than some of the other Craig films that it's just kind of Bond's swan song a little bit. Um, and like when I look at it through that lens, I, I think I, I think that's probably why I cared a lot less about Rami Malek's just what's his villain's name? Safin or Safin. Lucifer. Lucifer. Yeah, wow. It's like a, they wrote Lucifer. It's like, no, there. that's too obvious. <laughs> Add like some T's and S's in there just to mix it up. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, part of me wonders if that'll help it age well because it, it, we go back to Casino Royale a lot. I think that's uh, that's one of my favorite Bond films. I won't ruin my ranking, but I think it's 
incredible. And a lot of the reason that's incredible is Lashif is a really, really good villain, thanks mm-hmm. mostly to Mads Milkison. But I, I do kind of almost like that about No Time to Die is that the villain isn't this core central figure like it was in Skyfall and Spectre and uh, really poorly in Quantum of Solace. So, I don't know. I guess I kind of, I'm indifferent to the villain because I actually, at the end of the day, somewhat don't think it matters that much when the, can, the rest of the story is trying to do what it's doing. I can agree with that. I, and I largely do. I mean, my, that my, my, my enjoyment of this film isn't dependent on the fact that, you know, the villain was played such a huge role, but it's more of like, it goes to Scott's point where I, I just wonder if there was restructuring at some point or something. Cause it's like, it's not just like they hired a guy, they hired, you know, hot off an Oscar win, Rami Malek to play the lead villain of the final Daniel Craig Bond movie. So it just feels like naturally, I, I don't think it's subverting. It's like expect- a missed opportunity almost. Yeah, but it, it but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's doing that to subvert expectation. It just feels like it's doing that because I don't know why. Like I don't have a re- I don't have an explanation as to why they'd have not enough or not not as much for him. Like I I'm not I I ultimately like the choices they made. But I have to wonder if there were different intentions earlier on when Matt Rami Malek was first hired to be the villain of this Bond movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because, I mean, for me at least, you know, nitpicks notwithstanding, I think the film flows very well for the first most of the you know, the first act and most of the second act. And it feels so story-wise, I don't – empty is too strong a word, but – somewhat empty toward the end i I mean i would argue if you liked the you know the swan bond romance that's the the swan bond romance more you'd probably not have this knit this kind of issue yeah absolutely and you know it's 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 you know objectively speaking you're right if the romance works for you then the third act isn't going to be as as frustrating um but in a vacuum i do think this film will age well or age better when it's just one Bond film of many, because I, I went, you know, on a whim, we, my wife and I watched them all basically one a night for a month, like in April, 2020, the beginning of quarantine. And what I know, you know, noticed is that, yeah, when you're watching them all, you know, in a very long one after another, after another, you know, even ones that I, I initially wasn't crazy about, like Man with the Golden Gun, I ended up kind of enjoying because of, of the ways that it was very different from Live and Let Die and very different from, you know, Moonraker or, uh, you know, uh, The Spy You Love Me. And this one certainly goes out of its way to be different in certain ways than a stereotypical Bond film. Well, also, I would say, and you mentioned this too, and you're absolutely right, it certainly is more willing to embrace the 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 fun tropes in that first half, give or take. I mean, the thing, the, way, thing I, the thing I tweeted when I got out of this movie was, Q, you have to hack into Blofeld's eye. It's like, exactly. that's silly. I mean, like, this, this movie's not above being stuff. silly. <laughs> I mean, there's a major scene that takes place at a villain's birthday party. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's exactly. hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that ridiculous slow-moving chair, that, that's, that's, that's Shyamalan humor, and I like it. Um, that's a Jordan. I, that's a question I have for you because you've seen like you grew up watching quote unquote the more serious Bond movies, and you've now recently caught up with you know the Connery and the Craig or the Moore eras, which are you know the, there's obviously a tonal difference in some of those movies. And I'm curious, like, do you do you appreciate like the 
you know, if you look at that evolution, do you appreciate like how it's kind of became this more serious? Do you like when it at least has like a little more fun with things? I see them almost as callbacks, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And, and technically, I grew up with the Brosnan ones. That I guess Brosnans were fairly it's kind of, serious. It's and kind of a mix. Last. Yeah. Yeah. Die another day was off the rails. Um, yeah. But it swung for the fences, so you got to give it credit for that. Um, sure, I can do that. I I don't know. That was one of my biggest complaints about the Moore era, though, is like when Connery did more silly stuff, I think that's one of my – it's not my favorite Connery film, but I really like You Only Live Twice because it's just a little bit more zany and fun. I mean, uh, aside from Bond trying to be Japanese with just bushy eyebrows, that was – That's, that's a choice. doesn't work today. Yeah. Um, but that – I mean, you're, but, the, that movie referencing that movie, I mean, that's – when people think of Bond, like if you're going to identify the tropes of a Bond movie, they're largely yeah. pulling from the, even if they haven't seen it, that's what they're pulling from just by references yeah. alone. Like Austin Powers is entirely You Only Live Twice. Yeah. And I mean, the stuff that in the Moore films, Moore had like silly and then he had just stupid stuff where it was in Live and Let Die when they do like the corkscrew jump and they do a slide whistle with it or mm. anything with Sheriff Pepper. Like, I cannot stand <laughs> that character. Or, yeah, like, what is it, Octopussy that. when he's swinging on vines and he Tarzan, lets out a Tarzan yeah. yell. Like, mm-hmm. just that stuff was so bad in the Moore era. And he had a lot of good humor in the Moore era just because I, I thought he was a good Bond and he was kind of cheeky about it. But then I it agree. would just go to, like, stupid territory. And I don't think Craig's ever went there, and Brosnan's really rarely went there. I, I wouldn't even know if Die Another Day went there too bad, but Craig's, I think, was more so just, let's do some fun callbacks to add some lightness to this. It doesn't necessarily need to be like a Marvel movie where you're laughing every minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think a good example is the Q and Bond relationship, I think, really started heavy with Pierce Brosnan and, uh, and um, blanking on Des- the, Desmond Llewellyn. Yeah. Yes. Like that was some of the best stuff of Brosnan's era was their back and forth banter. And that survived into the Craig era pretty well. I don't think it ever reached the highs of the Brosnan era, but just those things that kind of called back. It's again, I, I, I appreciate that they didn't do too much of it and add like a slide whistle while he's, jumping the motorcycle from the downward ravine. <laughs> you imagine? Now, I, now I want to see that. I want to see Daniel Craig's body. Sure the the, the, the more, the more edit of, sure. of No Time to Die. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> um, pigeon double take. Peter, I want to ju- jump back to you. You were leading to somewhere before I cut you off about Malik. Is there something else you wanted to add that's uh, moving us on to another direction? It's more that... No, I don't know if it's moving to It's more that I... I guess I felt like they I, I think part of what they're trying to do with Malik because they're kind sort of also with Swan is the notion of we've seen a lot of Bond movies where it's the notion of like, you know, Bond, Bond getting older, this older guard, these like, you know, fathers and mothers like M. And I guess I sort of liked that with I think they're doing with. Sufan, loose, loose, whatever his name is, uh, with him and Swan is it's like a children thing. And I was like, Oh, I kind of like that. Like that again, I'm not saying it's genius or anything, but like when you get to the third act and that's a lot of what his speeches are about, I kind of like that. And 
it ties into, and we, none of us have brought this up yet, unless it's we're considering a spoiler, even though it's in the Billie Eilish opening credits. Um, I kind of like that the um, the 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 device is a DNA thing. I think that's pretty cool, and I love how in the opening credits you get all the the endless guns lining up as a DNA strand. So that's why I feel like it's not. A, I mean, that's is that a spoiler since it's the first ten minutes in no, the well? You're describing the weapon of the movie, and I gotta say, the one, I, I, you know, having only seen this once so far, like my, you know. The way I take in the opening credits is I just like to read the opening credits. I'm like, I'm just not focused as much on the, the stuff happening, and I will next time now. So I, I'm curious, because I know what you're referencing, but it just wasn't hitting me as hard because I just wasn't thinking uh, about it yeah, too much. Yeah, that makes sense. But, but I thought it was cool. I think it's a cool weapon. I was like, oh, that, and that's a great, and as, as I think we all agree, the Cuba scene is fantastic, and the weapon is a big part of that scene. Uh-huh. Like, that's that was great. Yeah. I thought that was really entertaining. Well, let's talk about the weapon a little bit. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a. Scott, you kind of brushed on this already, as far as kind of how it, where its development came from and what its kind of initial intention was, and yet it's turned into this basically a weapon of mass destruction. Yes, I, I will say I, um, I enjoyed it for as ludicrous as it seemed, as far as like the kind of wrinkles we're adding to what this thing can do, the fact that it's nanobots was like, well, there we go. That's our that's our modern day thing. You know, we had drones before, so now nanobots is, is next, I suppose. Yeah. I'm just glad that Bond never had like a super suit that formed on top of his body or something from nanos. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> oh, that's Marvel. Yeah. But um or anybody honestly to be fair, the idea mm-hmm. of a bad actor explicitly targeting a specific, you know, people to kill, you know, basically by pushing a button is very winter soldier. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. But um, did, but did you did you enjoy the the weapon involved and like its kind of its overall yeah. usage in this film? Yes, I did. Um, and I, I, uh, you know, as somebody else already mentioned, I did. I was amused by how it dealt with Spectre as an organization. That surprised me. That was the kind of story beat I was certainly not expecting, and that was the kind of, oh, neat, I, you know, that I kind of wanted to see a bit more of as the film went along, but whatever, you play your card, that's fine. Um, I, my concern is the organization of Spectre seems very scattered to me, because of what, like, yeah. the way they described it in the last film, it's, they're literally like the Illuminati, like, they're everywhere, and you don't know who they are, and in this film, they're like, but we all got the invitation to the same birthday party, and we made it. We can't. I mean, guys, I know we have missions around the world. We're super shady. We're anywhere and everywhere at the same time. But also, also, if we miss the if we miss the boss's birthday party, the boss is, who's not going to be there. We we might as well consider ourselves looking for a new job. So we got to make it to this birthday party. I mean, it's an open bar. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot go. There's cake. It's Cuba, cake. A, a place that everyone likes to go because of all the freedom. Like, I mean, you just can't miss the Cuban birthday party. <laughs> we get those cigars. Which, again, you're right. That is a that is a, a the best probably the best example of the film just leaning into the absurd and not worrying about being a serious James Bond film. Um, but it does it in a way that doesn't draw that much attention to itself. If sure. that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm leaning um, into it just because it's funny but yeah, I mean, yeah it's, as far as the movie's uh, application for yeah. it I, it's a clever it's a clever way yeah. to go and you know i i i do like the big doomsday weapon and how it works and how it's used but again you know we we know so little about 
how he is in, how the villain is intending to use it and why and what the next you know phase two of his plan is and i don't know if it's again I, I don't know if it's rewrites i don't know if it's deleted scenes i don't know if it's just they figured we wouldn't care because it wasn't you know that was almost beside the point and you could make it a case that it was almost beside the point i mean, ultimately, I mean it's not you know we're talking yeah. about this as if like Fukunaga and everybody else that worked on this thing doesn't realize they don't have an answer for this. I'm sure yeah, like exactly. they have an answer for this and they know what they're doing and it has to be yeah. an intentional play as far as ultimately who really cares what he's going to do next because it's a Bond movie about Bond and there's other things we need to accomplish. But I, I can agree with you to the point of, well, I mean, it's nice to have that answer. <laughs> like it's not, you know, can't just throw it out. But um, uh, I did enjoy... You know, if I'm being, po- you know, trying to be positive here, uh, Billy, what is his last name? Because I know you mentioned Magnuson. him already. I like that he was, he is to a certain extent the, you know, a new, vaguely generic white guy that seems to get all the breaks in Hollywood for the last, you know, few years. So I liked him playing this specific role, you know, as a person that basically got there through no real merit of his own. Um, no, that's true. That's a good point. And. He also, like like uh, Anna Armisen's character, is sort of a Bond fanboy, and those yeah. two characters, while they you know they never interact and they have very different roles in the story, you know it was fun seeing basically Bond supporting characters that were fans of the series in a in a very meta but not obnoxious way. Let's um, um let's talk about another aspect of this film that's you know been a part of the you know build up to this it's the fact that uh, not only do you have you know several female characters that are you know play a huge role in this film and, and some specifically because they literally take on the mantle of 007 but you also have phoebe waller bridge who's one of the co-writers on the screenplay of this film scott let me go back to you like do, how do what do you think the impact has been as far as you know having that you know extra aspect in mind as far as the writing's concerned as well as um, having characters that are actively involved in this story well, I that mean, fit, that know, feels like I, a mix-up. That feels like a change-up as far as status quo I to mean, extent. The Bond franchise has been, quote unquote, rehabilitating the notion of a Bond girl at least since 1977. And if we're being, you know, if we're being brutal about it, we'd say 1989 with License to Kill. And every time we get a Bond film, the the the, the narrative is. This time, they're not just Bond girls, they're Bond women, and they're more empowered and progressive and not just a damsel in distress and blah, 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 blah. And sometimes that's true, sometimes it's not. Um, as far as Lasana Lich's character, she's great on her own. I just wish the film, and this was frankly an annoyance I had with it, is that it kept going out of its way to sort of assure let's be honest, old men in the audience or young men that no, no, don't worry, folks. James Bond's the real 007. Don't you worry. Uh, this is just a fun one off for this picture. Um, and, and there is, you know, the, the, I, don't the, know the, the, I agree. I, I, I mean, beyond there's one moment toward the end where it's, it's yeah. But I don't think the, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't necessarily think that's pandering to a certain credit. I think it's just about at that point, respect for the guy i mean i i, yeah, think, that I, go, thought, I think yeah, that, I exce- that, that extends beyond like trying to appease a certain fan base i think that's just i don't i don't know if it was intentional but that's to me that's a certainly and again it's not just that it's it's 
and again, this may not be the movie's fault. This may just be the culture that we're in right now. But the constant debate over is it more than just a number? Does it mean anything more than just a number? Josh Guzman, this this skewed, weird, nostalgic fandom that we exist in right now, where it is, you know, it's more than just it's not just a number. It's it's a, it's a jersey. You know, they even make a joke about that. You know, it's basically he's you know you're you are an agent. You've killed two people in the line of duty, and you're seven because you're the seventh one in line. Or if there's a hole to be filled because 002 died, maybe you get to be 002. So, you know, the, the, the idea of them arguing about the number in a vacuum is cute, but outside the vacuum, it really played to me like them selling the idea that this 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 franchise is, you know, again, it's it gets to the Ghostbusters afterlife thing, the Halloween kills thing, the Force Awakens thing, where it's not just this fun franchise, it's important iconography of American pop culture mythology. Yeah, Scott, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. At yeah. the same time, if they wanted to, like, play to that, like, play in that angle, I mean... It's clear that they're obviously listening to the world around them, but that I mean, look at them casting Lashana Lynch as 007. Like that, that's a that feels like a clear fuck you to an audience that's trying to like get you know trying to give the 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 franchise grief for the possibility of doing anything that strays outside the spectrum. Um, and I would argue that the 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 the, the, the resolution of that plot, intentional or not, shows a. Partially because I really like how that relationship ends right before that sequence. You know, basically she does him a favor and he, in absolute gratitude, basically says thank you. And at that point, they are on equal terms. They are friends. They are colleagues. And that, by all rights, should be the end of that particular conversation. And exactly, you're saying one line where I'm saying the exposure of the character alone, I think, makes a much bigger difference to the audience that's watching this compared to a single line Perhaps. of dialogue within the context of the movie. Also, as um, a, Peter, also, as a uh, as a fun side note, um, I, I I posted this on Twitter and because I have no followers, nobody cares. But um, but uh <laughs> I got I, I started wondering to myself, how many James Bond movies did they say do they say the title of the movie? And they don't I don't and I'm thinking it's like maybe 60 percent or whatever. But I will say and again, Aaron, you can cut this if you think it's a spoiler. But I do like that Lashana Lynch is the one who indirectly says the title of the movie. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's the one who says it. I was like, that's I thought that was cool. You know, I don't know. As, like, as we established, by the way, Peter, it's more like 85 percent of the movie say the title in the, in the movie. I, think it's, I, think it's 70. I don't know. I think. But anyways, it's fine. But but uh, but well, but I, I, I do enjoy I their sporting relationship. I do avoid their their healthy competition. Um, And I enjoy the fact that, you know, Unlike, say, Tomorrow Never Dies or The Spy Who Loved Me, they don't damsel her at the end. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Jor- yeah. Jordan, how about you? Any, any thoughts on the kind of the, the role the, the female characters play in the uh, in the film? Um, I appreciated, uh, I think, what they did. I thought that they were actually pretty strong, independent woman, kind of other than Leah Sadu's character. I mean, she kind of is damsel in distress a little bit. At multiple times throughout the movie, but she's also the one who you kind of suspect, like, oh, is she or is she not doing all this stuff? Uh, she's also like, she's a target. Kind of right. I mean, it's like, it's yeah, 
yeah you know it's not like she's a co-lead that happens to get captured like oh i think it was her doing this Mm -hmm. and then you come to find that's not true and then yeah she definitely is a target but i do think i mean it's interesting because there are i think scott mentioned license to kill there are like several instances throughout the franchise where the bond girl just feels distinctly different regardless of whether the movie they're in is good or bad in terms of strong or just always being having to rescue yada 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 um this one i feel like there was so many different females that i'm not sure i actually felt that way i mean anna damas was basically like female john wick and kind of like fish out of water just having fun and taking tequila shots and lashana lynch was i don't know i don't i think the whole 007 blow up thing was uh, initially it was annoying, but I think most of the fan base knew that she was only in that role because Craig was either retired or the film set it up as he was dead. I don't think many people took that seriously. And I think uh, Scott's totally right. I mean, the way that that works is when you kill two people, you get your double O number and then it's basically you're filling the most, the next remaining spot. So for anyone to read too much into that isn't that big a deal. I think at the end, uh, her giving it back also wasn't a big deal. I agree with her in there. I think it was more a sign of respect and just the fact that she knew what was going to happen. So uh, she made sure to make that call. Um, I was kind of interested how they always kept asking or she always kept asking him, like, well, what number are you? When he came back and they never answered that question, because I was kind of curious, too. I was like, oh, is he going to be 008 for, like, 30 minutes or something? And it's, they it's, never answered that question, which was fine. But it's like 53, it so it just funny. doesn't sound very yeah. sexy. It's just, like, exactly. it's just, a, boring, it's just a boring number. So. 0075. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I appreciated it, and I thought... Um, I mean, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a lot of British humor and a lot of female British humor, and I think that showed up in a perfect balance in this film. Like I said, I don't think this film overdoes the humor. I think it gets the balance just right. I was worried that there was going to be just like a, not a fourth wall breaking flea bag segment. I knew they wouldn't do that, but I was worried there's just going to be like a random scene where it was just, the only scene that she had anything to do with. And it was just very obvious, but I think they interwove her a lot more. Um, yeah. And I, I think she helped them. I think she nailed a lot of the female characters, which I imagine is who she helped with most. Probably, probably most as far as kind of uh, smoothing out certain areas. But like, as mm-hmm. I believe Craig said specifically too, it's like, no, she wasn't brought on specifically just for this. She was there for, you know, to help lift the screenplay. Cause she's a, an award-winning writer, but at the same time, yes, I mean, obviously you have, that's true. I mean, yeah, have, she's super talented. You have a focus on a number of of, of female characters in this film, which is just it's like, like that's why like Scott, I I under, like there's even saying the term Bond girl at this point, it's like yes, it obviously applies to his main love interest, but just be able, you know, and I don't think you're saying this specifically either. It's just more there's just a lot of like people in this movie of all types at this point, yes. and the, and it's, and it comes down to like writing a film that can suitably handle this the magnitude of this you know uh, of this casting. And I, while I, I mean, I think we all agree that there's areas where the story just doesn't, you know, quite hold up as strong as it could. I do, you know, having 
along you know along with bridge uh, waller bridge and and fukunaga you have purvis and wade who've written what the past seven bond movies like you know i think everyone's certainly trying to do something well-rounded enough that feels akin to what this craig era is supposed to have meant and you know be a be a big adventure movie and with that i want to talk about more of the scope of this whole thing i mean this is a bond movie it has a huge budget it's filming in Pinewood Studios and, like, globetrotting around the world. What did you guys think? I mean, and, uh, like, Peter Jordan, you both mentioned the cinematography and what have you. What did you guys think of the kind of the scale of this thing? And, like, beyond just the action, but in terms of, like, how how was how was the bigness of this film for you, Peter? How, how did that work? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I um, it, it's ironic to me that the first screening I went to was at the, was at an IMAX screening, but because I was so close, yes, it was big, but not in a good way for my personal experience. So, so no time second, to see, huh? Right. Exactly. No time <laughs> to see or, or, or hear intermittently. Um, <laughs> but when I saw it, uh, the second screen was like at an AMC, just the, you know, normal theater. And, um, I thought, yeah, picture was sharp. It looked great. And, you know, as a, I'll say as a person who, um, oh, you know, I mean, you all know how nerdy I am, but as a person who is also a big gamer, um, I have sort of I sort of I'm on the side of understanding when people younger than me that are that are more gamers than they are movie people when they're like, well, why would I, you know, I don't know, see a tomb. Well, I guess Tomb Raider movies aren't that great, but like, why would I go see something where they're traveling all over the world when I can play a game, you know, like Uncharted, which has amazing graphics. And now you're in like, you know wherever they're going they go south america school of the caribbean south america, various right. islands yeah right yes or or you know or now in far cry 6 a fictional version of cuba you know like but i will say yeah i actually really i really enjoy i like when they get to you know when they get to norway I, there's a whole sequence where like it's a big car scene and you see just that spindliness of um of this line that is like, uh, it's, I mean, I guess it's like their freeway, but it's only like single lane. So bond is on one side and then the two bad guys SUVs are on the other. And it's a super wide shot like that. That stuff's great. Like, I mean, I still love seeing the reality of like, wow, that looks so big and gorgeous and everything. So even though I do love the immersion of what a game can do, uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's nice to see this or, you know, or the mission impossible movies. And those, I think those are also like that. You know, so um, I thought that was, yeah, I mean, that that's all, you know, a production value for me. Jordan, how about you? Yeah, I totally agree. I think this um, felt a little bit more epic than, honestly, probably most of Craig's films, just thinking back to especially like the finales, um, like Spectre's finales was a total snooze fest in London. And then yeah, he, he shoots at a helicopter really... and then the, the movie ends. Yeah. <laughs> like... And like, oh my God, I forgot about that. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I forgot how boring it was. Um, but then even Skyfalls isn't boring, but it's just out in the middle of the field. But I thought it was right. almost, yeah, again, yeah. a nice callback this one where it's like he has this secret lair on this random island in the ocean that just looks like something straight out of almost the Connery films. Um, but yeah, and then he goes globetrotting a lot. Uh, I'll add specific mention that there's four Aston Martins in this film and I love them. Mm -hmm. Uh, one doesn't get driven. One is just like in the background of Q branch. It's like their hyper car. Um, but I'm a big fan of just Aston Martin in general. And 
the DB5 sequence at the very beginning, I think is like maybe the best use of that car in an action sequence across the entire franchise. Um, so I really enjoyed, I think the action was really big, particularly uh, at the start. And like, I think I mentioned it all the way at the beginning, the cinematography is just great in this one. I think Spectre fell a little flat for me in that regard is Spectre had basically the single take open or made it feel like a single take for a long period. And that was honestly probably like the best part of the film. And then the rest of it was very uh, average in terms of how it shot the film. And that I think hurt a lot coming from Skyfall. This one felt to me like almost Skyfall level, not quite. Um, but there's just some awesome shots, uh, particularly in the Norway sequences and just how they framed the shots that make it feel, I think, a little bit bigger than it actually was, which is great. Yeah, no, I, 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 agree. I, I like big in these movies. I like, I mean, I like big in a lot of movies, but I mean, something like this where it, like there's such a, it's the kind of thing where I'm able to forgive a lot because the notion of going larger than life means so much to certain types of films where, you know, delivering on that aspect, you know, it, that puts me in a position to be like, why should I care as much about areas that aren't quite adding up to me? Because what am I in this for? And yes, obviously, there's a perfect melding of all of that that leads to classic films that you can get every now and again. I don't know, T2. But like something like <laughs> No Time to Die or something like a James Bond movie where I really like James Bond movies. I know not all of them are going to be the pinnacle of what a James Bond movie is. I do respect that each one of them certainly tries to go all out. Not all of them are always successful in that, but that certainly is a big quality of these James Bond movies, similar to Godzilla in that way, where you just have a lot of a lot of stuff there to put in front of you and be like, "Look, we went, we 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 took, we pulled out the stops again, went to new places you've never been before, never seen in this light before, and we're just you, you know we're shooting it with widescreen and we're making it look as big, you know, look giving you a a great reason to go to a big screen to see this thing." And I think in that respect, and this movie shot with IMAX cameras, no less, to really emphasize that fact. So I, I think with that in mind, yes, there's so much here that I think melds really well with what we're trying to do with a you know, this James Bond movie that makes it feel, you know, big, but also you know still has that you know personal quality that I think has been a huge you know aspect of of the of the Craig era specifically. But Scott, how about you? I mean, of, of the things that you liked about this movie, did you respect the the scale of it? I think I would have preferred if it was, you know, a smaller scale, maybe take place in one location, <laughs> like a, a muted farmhouse where a handful of characters deal with supernatural occurrences that are really just a metaphor for grief and generational trauma. <laughs> the ghosts of Judy Dench <laughs> and Bernard Lee coming into this room. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, it's a freaking James Bond film. I mean, it looked great. I saw it at IMAX both times. And even as somebody that isn't crazy about it, if you're going to see it, see it at IMAX or at least see it on the biggest screen you can find. Um, and, yeah, it looks great. I mean, I think most of Spectre looks pretty solid. Um, I, I I mean, I agree. And I, other issues. I, yeah. I, I agree. Like, Jordan, I, put, I push back a little bit because I do think Spectre looks – it's Hoytzema and Hoytzema. I do think his his yeah. shot composition is there. If anything, yeah. and I and – I, I'd be hard-pressed to think you don't agree with me. I think it's because the film feels so indifferent to a lot of the action taking place. Yes. that's. I think that's what makes the visuals feel flat, because, like, yeah, they're there, yeah, but who cares? 
Like who yeah. cares? It's yeah. like like there's a big snow action sequence that should be like the coolest fucking thing you've seen because it involves a plane and and jeeps and they're on a snowy mountain and it's like yeah this should be awesome and you're just kind of like well that happened i guess like it just doesn't feel memorable at all (laughs) yeah yeah the action is very well the whole film is very it's very indifferent i think you just said that yeah yeah which is like so it's so weird like how do you make a film of that that costs that amount of money and have it have like no real personalities. It just doesn't like click. I don't want to get into whole specter thing. I'm just saying, but I, but yeah, I mean, but no, yeah. back to that. Yes, I think this is a fantastic looking picture. Uh, it has a variety of locations, which isn't something I used to take for granted. But I mean, it's something I used to take for granted, but now I don't. Yeah, it's nice that Bond uh, didn't go to Atlanta to shoot in Africa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, it, it sounds you know, redundant and silly to say, yes, the new Bond film looks great. But yeah, the new Bond film looks great. Uh, other thoughts? Like, okay, let's talk, let's narrow in on some things. And then we'll, we'll get to the end of all of this soon. There's so many thoughts on Bond. But um, how about this like extended cold open where we have what's like basically like a horror sequence that opens the film, uh, followed by what bec- what starts as like, I guess, a a romantic tryst that turns into a like a, a tearful reunion followed by a breathlessly paced action sequence involving the Aston Martin that, that Jordan brought up already. Did you guys like the Peter? Did you like the the series of events that made up like the first 20 minutes of this Bond movie before the titles came on the screen? I did and um not to necessarily contradict Jordan, but I guess I am. I am um, I uh, I don't love that opening inspector. I I remember hearing, oh my god, it's in it's in one take and it's in and it's Dio Duelos Muertos and it's gorgeous. And I was like, yeah, this is a really boring scene. Like, even though it is very pretty. This has basically two time periods. Is that right? Is it two? Mm-hmm. You gotta you yeah, a, you get a flash, you, you get a flash horror, forward in there. Yeah. Yeah, you have this really cool horror opening with a young Madeline Swan playing with her Tamaguchi, which I thought was great. Um, and then you flash forward to um right uh bond and and it's a great it's a great uh it's not a smash cut i forgot what we call a match it, cut a, it's a match cut yeah the cut yes. from young swan to adult swan is really great and i was like oh that's great you know um i i what you just said about the horror the horror vibe i really liked that i don't remember i wait although to be fair i have not seen jordan's favorite um what is it? Uh, Diamonds are forever. I have never seen that one. Um, oh so you I know spared I'm yourself. Okay. You don't need I know to. he hates it. I, um, but um, I think this is the first Bond movie that has kind of a horror thriller opening. And I really liked that. And it really has nothing to do with James Bond, which I thought was kind of cool. Going back to my it's not about Bond thing. But um, I will say maybe this is to Scott's point. From a script level, you are. Having Bond and Madeline go through what they go through when they're together and where he is emotionally, it's a little it it does feel a little like, well, the script needs to get he needs to be at this point in order for the rest of the movie to work. So he has this arc. The first time I thought it was a little clunky. I was like, "Eh, okay, he's really angry about this. Like, but I don't know. The second time I watched it, I'm like, you know what? It's fine because it gives him that arc. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I'm trying not to say it. I, Spoiler, yeah, but... I, I would say, obviously, it's, I mean, this is what you're saying, essentially, but it's like, the movie, you know, it's larger than life. I mean, that's the whole nature of the scene right. to begin with, so it, it has to play on certain things. But, like, in terms of the character we've established with Craig, a guy who falls hard for things when he sees, when that opportunity arises, but also 
has learned the hard way the you know the the consequences of going all in on something and then it not panning out correctly i it it, it, it was you know it, i wouldn't say it was jarring so much as like yeah I, I get i get why he would put himself why he would feel this way if suddenly things turned on him the way they kind of do uh, there because they based off you know past history with this kind of thing uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's basically a triple opening sequence, which is impressive by itself. It's like a 25 minute sequence. I was trying to think if it's got, a, I mean, we'll time this one day. I'm it's sure got but like, I mean, because I world, because I, I think world is not enough still has the, like the longest time. Uh, I think between. that one's only 14. No, you mean, I thought you were looking at the same article I was. So this one clocks in at 20 minutes and it takes so, it yeah. around. So this is the longest. And world one. is not enough is 15. Yeah. So I know that's a second. two part. Well, that's kind of a three part sequence too. But it's it's uh, it's multiple it's stages six. of like the same yeah. scene basically. But yeah, it's still yeah, yeah. it's still very long. It's like um, it's I like it spy movies that have this too. It's this and like Mission Impossible Fallout. They're all like let's just go for it. Let's just have the longest pre credits like, movie action hour, sequence. And then halfway through the movie, um, intermission slash opening. That's what that's what I hope Mission Impossible uh, Seven is. It's the whole the whole movie, then the opening, cre- then the, op- the, the opening that's credits, the opening credits, the opening credits, then the end credits, and then see you next year for Mission Impossible Eight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's I, so, I like I what I liked about the opening action sequence is that. It's something that we don't see all that often, which is that Bond is caught off guard. Yeah. He's obviously not on duty. He's on a vacation and he's scared. You know, he, he is genuinely, you know, genuinely frightened of not escaping and getting killed. Um, and it's 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 a nice change of circumstances from what we associate with that character. Jordan, you're you're an Archer fan, right? Uh, I've fallen off the last few seasons, but okay. I've seen enough of it to probably know what you're talking about. Well, there's a, cause there's an explosion in this opening sequence. And then later on, there's another explosion. And I'm thinking, oh my God, going to have so much tinnitus <laughs> from all these explosions yeah. in yeah. the movie. Cause the movie certainly wants to emphasize it this time around. The movie's sound design is like, Bond's getting fucked up. We need to emphasize that in the soundtrack right now. <laughs> He also probably has some organ failure at some point or something is not right internally because yeah. the graveyard one was like, point blank right in his face and then he just is like oh man that hurt really bad and he starts running <laughs> it's a it's a bond gets his he, he gets beaten up a lot in this movie <laughs> like, mm-hmm. i mean craig in general in all these movies he gets, he gets pretty beat like he, he bleeds bond bleeds in the in his in his movies didn't he injure himself on this one he's injured himself I, on all he of the them. one who got injured all of them he's injured oh, okay. himself on. yeah he really <laughs> injured on spectre yeah, yeah, yeah. Spectre, Spectre broke a leg, uh, which is which is why I always think that I, I always think that they shot the opening of Spectre last because it's just him walking for the first twenty minutes of that movie before he does anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's all one shot because it's like, what else are we gonna do? We can't run. Like, <laughs> um, what else? Let's see. Scott, you mentioned Christoph Waltz, who has like a brief appearance in this movie, but we, there's, you know, there's some other characters obviously that you know are notable stars that have something to do here and so we have our you know our our general players like m and m and money punny and, and and q did you guys appreciate what they're adding i want to let's talk about m a little bit specifically too it's i do think ray fines has he gets stuff to do this time around that, well you know, i thought <laughs> i thought they did a better job with m than they did with um uh C? 
Is it wait? Yeah, I think it is C. Inspector? C for Spectre, yeah, yes. with Andrew Scott. Right, yes. We have nothing invested in that guy, and I'm just like, well, I don't like this person from Frame One or whatever. And so, what they do with M and how it ties into the plot, like that was pretty good. I was like, oh, that works. Like I thought that was, you know, and I think Ray Fiennes brings a a heaviness to certain decisions that were made. Um, that that moves the plot along. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought that. I thought it was pretty effective. Um, and I, I think it works, especially in contrast to Skyfall, where when he's introduced, he's sort of the one calling M to task and being the the Monday morning quarterback, for lack of a better word. And now, years and years later, the shoe is on the proverbial other foot. He's the one being called out for making, you know, what True. at the time might have seemed to be the right call, but now is blown back on him. Great. Uh, I appreciated the scene. It was very brief, but it was like a heavy lies the crown scene of him sitting in that hallway looking at the portrait of judy dench's M. yeah yeah and bernard lee if i was yeah yeah i believe yeah it was him which, that, yeah the, wait, what and then the, and then for some reason harold ramus was on the other mural it was, uh, it was <laughs> <laughs> and then will smith's character from independence day for whatever reason was behind the <laughs> <laughs> and, and, what about the we, I, yeah we not a lot, of, not a ton of time spent with, with Naomi Harris's Money Punny, and Q gets he gets stuff to do here. But uh, how about how about them in, the, in this film? Well, what I mentioned about the supporting cast, those are the two that I I thought of offhand that I wanted more of, just because I find Craig's Bond genuinely interesting because he's so he turns off his guard when he with in the presence of those two characters, and it is an interesting dynamic that I don't think is repeated anywhere else. So yes, I do want more of that because it's inter- it, it it's engrossing to me seeing a guy like that treating these people as friends, you know, not lovely, not bosses, not you know, but you know, he genuinely likes these people. I, I I agree with Scott. I just think I just think that the movie is is already pretty long. I mean, I I love when we get to hang out with characters, especially Money Penny um q and bond because they've known each other for so long it's it is fun to see them show up at q's house and you know see his hairless cat and everything but of course i absolutely would have loved more of that um i just understand why we don't get more of it i guess i mean well yeah because as you've mentioned multiple times it's the longest bond movie like there's only so much to do and i don't know how you stretch i mean scott you're saying cut down the action of a bond movie and i'm like well i don't, I don't agree with you i think we need plenty of action in a that's movie. fair but i I, I I also think, well, look at the history of Bond movies. Like, if anything, they have more time to do stuff than they normally do in any Bond movie. We barely, I mean, think of any classic Connery or Roger Moore movie. It's oh, like he you're walks, right. He walks into an office, he, you know, says three lines of the money, punny, and then goes on his business. Or he goes to Q for five minutes to get a new gadget, and that's it. This movie, you actually know about Q's home life. For one thing, you, you learn about who he is, yeah, and 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 Money Punny clearly they you know share a history because she shot him in the chest and nearly murdered him. So I mean, <laughs> as friends do. So I mean, it's oh. I, I I I can agree yeah, that I mean, it's what you what you what you're saying to me is I I wanted more of them because I like them. Yeah, I mean I think that goes. I think I get that. I understand, but I just. We're getting a lot. We're getting given this franchise. I'm seeing a lot of them by comparison to the rest of this franchise, which I can appreciate. No, you're you're absolutely right. In the same way that when I rewatched the first or watched the first time the first season of Star Trek, which I had I you know for last summer, one thing that I went oh you know the the 
supporting characters are actually in this a lot less than they are in the movies that I'm most familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the life, you know, the movies, both the original movies and the Abrams ones, there's a lot more of Sulu and Chekhov and, and, you know, uh, Scotty than, than we see in the first season of the actual TV show itself. Um, Anyway, that's a random digression. Okay. Well, last thing, and then we can kind of, unless you guys have anything else you want to bring up, uh, but I, uh, Jordan, I know you're a big fan of the scores in general and in, you know, these various movies. And Peter, obviously, uh, you you are big into the music scene and you, you enjoy yourself some Billie Eilish. Did you guys appreciate what Hans Zimmer and Eilish brought to the, the musicality of this James Bond film? Uh, Jordan, you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of I don't. I have nothing against Billie Eilish. I like most of her music. I don't think the theme song was. I don't think it's going to be one that ends up on the bottom of lists. But I also don't think it's going to be one that ends up on the top of any list either. I agree. Uh, I I do agree with Peter. I thought the sequence. I don't read the stuff while it's on the screen when those sequences are happening. I'm watching all the stuff in the background, and it did. I need to know who very, the line producer cool is visual. immediately. So I best, I gotta I gotta get in there. <laughs> um. So the visuals really neat. The song, eh. Um, Hans Zimmer's score. I mean, you can never go wrong with Hans Zimmer. It clearly wasn't something as uh, iconic as like an Interstellar or Inception or something like that. But I found that when you needed it most, it was doing a really good job at evoking emotion. Yeah. I would agree. Actually, I would agree. I would probably I would put Billy's song in the middle for me. I don't think it was the best. I don't think it was uh, the worst. Um, I liked the opening credits. Uh, two thing. Two things. One, um, I'm pretty. I could be wrong, but uh, I didn't. Most Bond opening credits always have like silhouettes of like you know beautiful women and everything. This was the only one that I didn't see it. There's a few close-ups of like a shoulder or something, but it's not what we normally get. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I was like, that's kind of a, you know, I guess, you know, and to, to go back to what Scott I said. The, I, Craig, the Craig era specifically has not done that. I mean, that's, not as well, it's, it's sort of there. Like the like Casino like Royale is all cards and bond. Oh, that could be <laughs> But like in the Quantum of Solace, the sand is the silhouette of like a woman's body. And like there's there's stuff. But this one, I was like, wow, there's really nothing except for like maybe a, a close up. Um, the only thing I will say in defense of the Billy song that, again, I like, but I understand it being more in the middle. I do think that while while Hans Zimmer's score was pretty effective, I did like using the No Time to Die melody basically as a theme for Madeline. It comes up yeah, basically when we yes. see it. Like the, there's a big moment yeah, when yeah. James and Madeline haven't seen each other, and then it's like, and then they cue that song, and I was like, oh, that's a nice use of the theme song. That's but every. Regardless of whether I'm mistaken, we hear that melody before the opening credits. Oh. I haven't seen it twice yet, like you guys, so I, I would, I don't know, but I mean, I yeah, wouldn't be surprised so it is, if that's that, the case. that little melody is basically her theme or whatever, and I was like, oh, it, I was like, that's kind of nice, like it's a nice way. I'm, I'm sure other Bond movies do that too. Most Bond movies incorporate the, the main song as the kind of the, the piece of the score to begin with. But I know right. what you're saying as far as specifying it to a character. I mean, that, that might be a little bit more on the rare side, but I, I get what you're saying, and yeah, I mean, I do think it. I think that tracks as far as what that song's trying to do and what the film is aiming for. I would agree. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, 
a pretty fact. And and and, and you know, Aaron, uh, if we're if we're getting to the end of our um, no time to di- di- no time to die yeah. uh, discussion, I agree. Like even talking about it, you know, it's ten o'clock at night where I am in uh, Los Angeles. I am just like, oh man, I kind of want to watch that right now. Like, <laughs> um, but but like you said, it's like I could watch another James Bond movie. There is something. Ultimately, that's a very positive vibe for me where I'm just like, it makes me want to stay in that world, I guess. Okay. Any other thoughts on No Time to Die before we kind of wrap this up here and move along? Scott, is this has this discussion pushed you any further in any direction on No Time to Die? Well, I mean, I'm still basically where I am, where I really – I mostly enjoy the first 95 minutes, and I was dissatisfied with the last – 45 minutes and as i said i i I, I even mentioned this in my review which was you know mixed negatives like i it's entirely possible that it will age better when it's just just a james bond film fair enough um and jordan and you're you said that this isn't you've given me a kind of a idea of where this would rank for you in the overall bond rewatch but you're saying what it's it's kind of more in the higher realm um I forget the actual number, but it's in my top 10, yeah. Okay. Um, it's in my top 15, for what it's worth. And I certainly enjoy this film, and I certainly recommend it to anybody that likes Bond movies. I do think it, I, while it's not necessarily firing on all cylinders at all times, I do think the reasons I want to see a movie like this are in this movie. And I do think it delivers on that front fairly often. Uh, but with that in mind, we just kind of did this. But when when should people go and see No Time to Die, uh, Scott? When should when should people see this movie? Well, it's ten o'clock now, so it's a little late. So I'd probably say wait till tomorrow morning and at the <laughs> earliest. Um, <laughs> sorry, no. I mean, it's a big screen movie. I mean, it looks great. See it on the biggest screen you can find, because there's a good chance you'll like it more than I did. Jordan, when should people see this movie? Totally agree, Scott. You got to see it on a big screen. I need to go see it on IMAX from what I hear. I saw it on, I mean, just a normal theater, and I want to go see it on IMAX, so maybe I need to do that. Peter? Um, uh, yeah, I would say definitely in the theater, especially if you're a Bond fan. I'm curious less about the IMAX than I am about, um, you know, AMC has their, like, their Dolby Vision, um, which just, I mean, I'm more on, I'm more of like a, a, a color and, and black level kind of nerd about this, that kind of stuff. So I know it doesn't not deliver those things. <laughs> oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, it could. Yes. If it's marked that way, you're right. It could also have Dolby vision. Um, so yeah, I maybe if I go see it for a third time, maybe I'll try to see, you know, get better seats and see it on an even bigger screen. But I will say the AMC that I saw, which was the normal digital projection, it looked fantastic. So, and it was still obviously bigger than any of our televisions. Sure. Uh, of course. I mean, yeah, see it on a big screen. I mean, I, it's, it, as I mentioned, it was shot with IMAX cameras in the various sequences. So, like, that reason alone is like, yeah, that's, that's why you should go see this on IMAX. I do think it delivers in that front. And as I've already, you know, praised, I like big movies that choose to be big. And this movie chooses to be big quite often. And I think that's, you know, it suits a Bond film. It suits this movie. So go see it. I think it's a, I think, you know, for the movie it is, I think it's a blast. Uh, you know, issues notwithstanding, and it's worthwhile to catch on a giant screen while you can. All right, we've done it. We've talked about no time to die. Let's um, let's move on now. Moving on. Let's get to what time is it here? I think it's time for uh, it's time for some games. 
little known Beautiful. fact. I, thank you. I, I submitted that to Jack White uh, before Quantum before he did you know another day to die, and he was like, no, I think Alicia and I are just gonna scream at each other and wail on pianos. So <laughs> yeah, they didn't take my advice, and well, the legacy stands. So here we are. Uh, I have a couple games for you guys this week. Um, the first one is called Name That Bond Tune. I am going to read you some lyrics from a James Bond song, and the first who knows what that song is can buzz it with their name and say and say what they think the answer is. So these are all songs from Bond films, obviously. I'm going to read some lyrics. If you think you know the answer, buzz it with your name and the, give me the answer. Good? Makes sense? I think it's pretty clear. Makes sense. Okay, here's the first one. Some of these are maybe easier than others, but I, I don't know, so let's see. Okay. For a golden girl knows when her... Scott? Well, <laughs> yeah, Scott. Uh, Goldfinger? It's Goldfinger. Uh, the whole thing is, for a golden girl... I'll check, because I wrote these in a, in a sentence and not like staccato. Kissed her. It's, it's the, the kiss, kiss of, of death. death from Mr. Goldfinger. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that was the easy one. Um, <laughs> some of these might be a little easy too, but we'll see. Okay, here's an excellent. I'll try to read this <laughs> a little plainer this time. The fatal kiss is all we need. Dance into the fire when all we see Scott. is Peter. Oh damn it, <laughs> Scott. A view to a kill. It's it is a view to a kill. Yes, that's correct. Until we dance into the fire. Okay, so I've used, like, two of the biggest, most well-known Bond songs. <laughs> Is okay. there ever a discrepancy between the movie being so bad and the song being so good? I think not. Here's the next one. Until the world falls away, until you say there will be no more goodbyes, Scott? see it in your eyes. Ah. Scott? <laughs> tomorrow never dies. You were correct. It's tomorrow never dies, yes. That's why I have two games. (laughs) Here's the next one. But if this ever-changing world in which we live in makes you give and cry... Peter. Peter. Take it. Uh, Live and let die. uh, Yeah, Paul McCartney. Or Wings or whatever. I think it's Paul McCartney and Wings. And Wings. Sorry, yes. But you've got the title, which is what matters. So yes, Live and Let Die is the answer. Okay, here's the last one. I wasn't looking... But somehow you found me. I Peter. Tra- Peter. Um. Uh, nobody does it better. That, uh, which is this? What is Spy Who Loved Me? That I think is that's correct. The name of the that is correct. Yes. You 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 knocked you got you guys you guys knocked this one away. But Scott, you were you're the winner of this first game. Name that Bond tune. <laughs> it's a good job. See, Jordan, I gave you a heads up to know you get your butt because I, I know Scott and Peter are both very I, good at this. With the I, know. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was getting sound clips. <laughs> the lyrics threw me. I was like, I don't know the words to any of these songs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have the, the next game here. This might be a little more universal. We'll see. This one's called Bing Bong James Bond. Uh, this is a trivia game. Um, each answer is a number, and I'm going to read you a question or piece of trivia and you have to get you have to guess what that number is to answer said thing involving wait, james bond wait say this again you have to say a number there's wait, i'm going to read you a question or a piece of trivia and the answer is always going to be a number you just have to guess what that what how many of something you think something is okay got it if you think you know the answer buzz in with your name here's the first one 
How many James Bond theme songs did Shirley Bassey sing? Peter. Peter. Two. Incorrect. Jordan. Scott. Jordan. Three. Three. That is correct. What's the third? Bonus points if you can answer that question. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I want to know what it is. We know what it is. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. You both named the first. Um, what are the first two? I mean, are we just throwing out answers now. I mean, well, this doesn't count anymore. We are, Jordan already got. The oh, okay, that's fine. But uh, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Good. Uh, uh, you. She's not. You only live twice, so nope. that's gonna be uh, Moon Moonraker. Moonraker. Oh, I didn't know that. She, she didn't do the mail. Um, okay, so what's between Moonraker and there? The third is Diamonds Are Forever. I was gonna, yeah, yes. I, was gonna the, yeah, I thought it was Diamonds Are Forever, but I was like, I haven't seen the movie, so I could be wrong. Yeah, it's Diamonds Are Forever. All right, here's the next one. How many times has Roger Moore ran or jogged as his character of James Bond? Scott? Scott? Uh. Is the answer zero? The answer, <laughs> the answer is zero. He was <laughs> Roger Moore was not a fan of how he looked on the move, so he always gave his active scenes to a body double. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh wait, 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 wait. So you're saying in the movie, in a Roger Moore movie, James Bond runs, but you're saying it, it's like a it's a wide shot, and it's really and it's a it's a, it's a stunt guy. Is what or as some would phrase it, James Roger Moore has never ran or jogged as the character James Bond, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it, yeah, okay. I Honestly, I don't remember that many running scenes with that character. Because he's so casual like, to begin with. So yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, never, he's never really to in a fair, hurry. I mean, yeah. I always think Batman looks dumb when he runs, so that's I'm totally okay with well, that. Well, if you see a person with a cape like that in those boots running, yeah. it's like, that defies the point of a Batman to begin yeah, with. Exactly. <laughs> Either Roger Moore is really self-conscious or he has a really weird gait when he runs that would just look – it would go with the silliness of his films probably. This is why – slide whistle with it. This is why Tom Cruise was like when he was pitching Mission Impossible. <laughs> it's like Bond, but you're going to get Tom Cruise run. Get my yeah, patent exactly. run. <laughs> You know who's a great runner in Bond films is Pierce Brosnan. Yes, that dude. Yes, he yes. Pump his arms so yeah. high. Mm-hmm. He's a great <laughs> runner in Bond movies. I completely yeah. agree. He's, he very much likes doing it. Uh, okay, here's the next one. Uh, what is Bond? What is Bond's record for romantic encounters in a single film? Peter. Peter. Is it four in like View to a Kill? I'm impressed that both. Yes, that's the correct answer. That's one of the films. It's a tie. Between Roger Moore and A View to a Kill and any guesses? Wait, do I have to get both? No, um, you got the point. You got four. That's okay. the correct answer. I'm just asking if you know if you know the other the other the other answer to this uh, one. But four I mean, four like is the record. Be, it's gotta be a more one. Like it's also I, it's also hilarious that it's four and it's because Roger Moore and A View to a Kill is one of the answers. That's yeah. <laughs> that's that's insane. <laughs> like if you had to it's when he's at his oldest. Yeah, yeah he's but... at his oldest, and somehow that's the one with the most. <laughs> that's insane. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anybody else want to take a stab? I don't know what another one would be. Uh, it'd just be a guess, but I don't know. I generally don't. It's a Connery. Oh. Oh. Is it Never Say Never Again? It No. Is it the unofficial? Funny. No. It's a You Only Live Damn. Twice. Mm. Oh, yeah. Wasn't Lazen be close, though? Because I feel like it doesn't he have that scene in... Uh, on Her Majesty's, where he walks in, there's like eight women there. 
Isn't he, isn't he pretending to be gay during that scene? I think there's a I think you're right, actually. Yeah. Something like that. Here's 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 the next one. We got two more. How many Oscars has the Bond franchise won? Peter. Peter. Uh hmm, I'm just gonna take a guess and say eight. Incorrect. Uh Scott? Mm-hmm. Six? Incorrect. Jordan. Jordan? Two. Incorrect. It was five. So when, it's won oh. five Oscars. It had it got two for song for Sam Smith's Writing on the Wall, one that we always sing together because it's wonderful. And <laughs> and of course Skyfall. And then it's won once for sound editing, once for sound effects, and once for visual effects. I think visual effects might have been Spy Love Me, if I'm not mistaken, or Moonraker. I think it's one of those. Oh. And what was, didn't it get a special effects for Thunderball? Or it wasn't special effects for, no, because I Love Me was Star Wars, so that whatever. Um, Thunderball. Oh, that's because Deacons doesn't win until Blade Runner, right? Yeah, Deacons right. didn't win anything, yeah. That right, was okay. that was Life of Pi's year, Peter. It, 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 <laughs> oh, right. Skyfall yes. was nothing compared to Life of Pi. That's what they said. Uh. That's, that's what they said at the, at the ballot. It said that surprisingly on the envelope. It was very funny when Ang Lee looked at, at, at Deacons and, and mooned him on, on yeah. stage. But then Deacons secretly defunded the studio that brought you the visual effects. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's why Rhythm and Hughes went out of business after the movie came, after the movie grossed billion, 100 millions of dollars. <laughs> so he had his last laugh. That's all in the Roger Deacons podcast, that story. Um, all right, next, next one we have here, last one. Um, how many... That's so mean. How many actors have played Bond's CIA, count- CIA counterpart and ally Felix Leiter? Ooh. Jordan. Jordan? Uh, three. Incorrect. Damn. I thought you were going to come out swinging at the last one here. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Scott? Yeah? going to guess four? Incorrect. Okay, then. Peter? Uh, two? <laughs> I don't know. Two? I mean, I feel like you should know that's wrong when you said that. But no, it, yes, it's very wrong. It's seven. The answer is seven people have seven. played. Seven? Shit. Seven. Yeah, we have um, Jack Lord is the first iteration in Dr. No. Um, Sec Linder, I guess, was in um, in Goldfinger. Uh, we have a Rick Van Nutter. Oh, so the in, actor changed within even the Bond actors. In Thunderball. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have a Norman Burton in 71, so that must have been Diamonds Are Forever. We have a David Hedison, who played it twice, uh, both in in um, in Live and Let Die and License to Kill. So that's the one where he got murdered. <laughs> <laughs> or not murdered, but uh, what sharks bit off his legs or whatever? Yes. Happened. <laughs> yes. Something but much more humane. He was fine by the end, apparently. Yeah, he grew him back as people do. Yeah. Uh, John <laughs> John Terry in uh, Living Daylights, and of course uh, Jeffrey Wright in um in the the Craig the Craig era. So yeah, seven actors have played a uh, Felix. Oh yeah. God. Mm-hmm. And um. I guess nobody got that answer. No one got. Who won this game? Let me see. I guess. Well, what? Well, it's actually a three-way tie. It was a three-way tie. All of you got an answer on this one because you guys got <laughs> both the last two wrong. Um, so hey, everybody wins. Bing bong, James Bond. That's how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's the games. Let's move on now. Let's get this about now. Feedback. 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 This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page. 
Facebook.com slash out podcast. We ask a number of questions to listeners, and they give us some answers. And, yeah, so I'm going to throw these out there. And, Peter, Jordan, Scott, if you have any uh, responses as well, feel free to throw them in here. First question we have, what's your favorite James Bond film from each of the actors? So favorite film per actor. So Irene has Sean Connery's Goldfinger, Roger Moore, Live and Let Die, Timothy Dalton, License to Kill, Pierce Brosnan, Goldeneye, Daniel Craig, Christina Royale. I've never seen Her Majesty's Secret Service, so I can't call it my favorite. Sorry to George Lazenby. Uh, Chris writes, Brosnan, Goldeneye, Lazenby, Secret Service, Dalton, Living Daylights, Connery, Thunderball, Craig, Casino Royale, Moore, Spy Who Loved Me. Todd Liebenau, friend of the show, Connery, Goldfinger, Lazenby, Secret Service, Moore, Living Let Die, Dalton, License to Kill, Brosnan, Goldeneye, Craig, Casino Royale. And Luke Thompson, friend of the show, he writes, Weirdly, I think every actor except Connery, their first was their best. Connery is You Only Live Twice, which embodies all the trademarks people associate with Bond movies. So Luke has a different answer there. I mean, for me, yeah, Skyfall for Craig, um, Goldeneye, which is the first for Brosnan. Is License to Kill second? That's second for Dalton. Yeah, then that yeah, that's Dalton. Um, More. No, I mean more would be Spy Who Loved Me. Was that the third? That's the third one, yeah. Third one. And I haven't seen all the Conneries, but, I mean, I'll just go with Goldfinger because, I mean, it's pretty awesome. So I'm assuming D- Diamonds Are Forever is not better than Goldfinger. So You would be correct. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, no you... secret, I'm not as big on Goldfinger as most people, but dear God. <laughs> Wait, how, now I, you know, now you guys are talking about, now I'm kind of, like, how bad is Diamonds Are Forever? Now, now you, is it Suicide Squad or it something? Makes, it makes puppies yes. vomit and cats kill themselves. <laughs> Let me put it this way: When I did the whole watch them all for the first time, you know, for, not the first time, you know, watch them all last year, it was not only the worst of the bunch by a decent margin, but it's the only one that I said to Wendy like, I don't think I'd ever watch this again except for academic reasons. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm saying it in a way that's gonna make you be like, ah, it's not that bad, and it's like, okay, yeah, it's not that bad, but I mean, it's just, it's not good. It's not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, uh, Jordan, I know you wrote your answers down, but I, you know, you're here, so what, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? To save a little time, I would agree with Peter. I would replace Craig's with Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have Spy Who Loved Me pretty high on my overall ranking. I freaking love that movie. Um, so that is by far Moore's best one, in my opinion. And then Goldeneye Brosnan, Connery is Goldfinger, uh, and even though Lazenby only got one, I think it's worth mentioning on Her Majesty's Secret Service because that movie's pretty great uh, aside from some things. And then I think Dalton just got a poor shake at it, but definitely um, License to Kill is his better one. Wait a minute. I just realized. So because I have a friend who loves Bond and she doesn't like any of the Dalton ones because she thinks they're such she just really thinks they're bad movies. And I'm always like, yeah, but Dalton's not a bad Bond. So you guys are saying Diamonds Are Forever is worse than the two Dalton ones. Is that what you're oh, saying? Well, yeah. Well, Diamonds Are Forever is just a bad movie. Like, I like License to Kill quite a bit. I think that one's solid. I know, Scott, you like Living Daylights a lot more than me. I think Living Daylights is, is whatever. But I mean, I, <laughs> I, but I, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to be like, this is a pile of garbage. I think it does what it does. It's just, you know, it's fine. Oh, no, I've always been a long, I've been a lifetime member of the hashtag Team Dalton Rocks fan club. 
he's fine. Like it's yeah. just it's more like it's not that I dislike him, it's just I like the others more. Like that's what it yeah. comes down to. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, like it's 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 that's how I feel about more now. I do. Roger, I, Roger. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a third Dalton film, and that's the one where, like, finally they got it. Like, I, I would, well, I, I would have, I would. I know have... what happens in these. You know, if you look at the well, that, popular I, reception, I do the... think Moore comes out swinging pretty hard, and the in the shoes he has to fill. I do think he does a good job right away, is establishing his bond. Like, I do think he. Yes. He, he you know. And even Brosnan for that, but that's a whole different scenario because there's like six years and it's a two two yeah. two two term oh. ten year bond thing going on. I think Moore is very good in Live and Let Die. I'm not big on the film itself, mm-hmm. but I do think it's a situation where Spy Who Loved Me was sort of the feels like the first one that was written for him. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, what were the yours? Same way that oh yeah, uh, Rush with Love, which I think is, I mean. Just even if the Bond series had stopped at like two or three or four, would still be considered one of the great, you know, modern action movies of the last 50, you know, 100 years or whatever. It's just a kick ass thriller. It's one of the best sequels uh-huh. of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Roger Moore, that's actually harder than I thought just because I liked most of them on a pretty even keel. And, you know, I, I could be lazy and say Spy Who Loved Me, I could be controversial and say Moonraker. But fuck it, I really enjoyed Octopus Eve just because. Shut up. I like it. It's fun. It's trying to piss me off. You know why I enjoyed watching that one a lot? Because that's the one I've seen the least. I mean, I was when I because re, I rewatched these too. When I was rewatching Octopus, I'm like maybe I will like this more because I don't watch it very often. And I was like, yeah, yeah. no, I exactly know why I don't watch this very often. And I, that's I, how I felt about a view of kill. Because after watching the Moors and, you know, being in demand with the Golden Gun, for God's sakes, and enjoying Octopussy and enjoying, the, you know, the ones that I generally like anyways, probably love me, Moonraker, Fury, I don't forget. Maybe if you do a kill, like, no, this film's one's still terrible. Jordan, where were um, you with your with your Moors at the end there? Like, which one did you not like the most out of those? Which ones did I not like? For the Moore series, yeah. Where, where were you like, yeah, this is garbage. <laughs> um, Octopussy was my lowest ranked one. Mm-hmm. And then A View to a Kill. Yeah. And then, honestly, a bunch of his just end up kind of together in the middle as like this blob. I didn't think A View to a Kill. I, I mean, he's clearly way past his prime in the role, and that's a bit annoying. Uh, but it did. It was strikingly violent. And yeah, Crystal, Chris Walken like murders a room of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's something about his villain that I think breathed a little bit of life into it for me. Uh, oh, I agree. It, it has its charms and spots. Yeah. So it's not yeah. it's not a waste of time. So. Oh. And great use of saying the title in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's like that might be the my favorite of. Well, again. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. Um, uh, just really quick. Uh, License to Kill for Dalton, obviously Magic Secret Service for Lazenby, uh, Golden Eye for Brosnan, and Casino Royale for uh, Greg. Well, let's let's keep moving. Let's we got some more. We have more Bond questions. Who's your favorite Bond movie villain? Uh, Mark writes Le Chief from Casino Royale. He wasn't a Bond villain who was in a secret castle in the Alps. He just felt real and had just as much to lose. Brilliant villain. Carlene agrees with the Le Chief pick. Uh, Todd has Goldfinger. Chris writes, yeah, I have to agree with Lashif, but being a kid of the 70s, Jaws was the real baddie. Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I can see that. Like, yeah. Who's your favorite Bond villain? 
I mean, for me, it's it's uh, is it Silva? Is that Bardem's name? Uh-huh. Is it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, easily like um, I mean, he's just he's the only one that really gets me to an, an emotional place. And it's also where Bond is as a character uh, in that. But I will say. God, you guys all love Casino Royale so much. Like, well, I, I guess it's better, I to, Peter. That's why. <laughs> I, I need to watch it, and I do remember Matt. Mads Mikkelsen is really good. Like, he he's terrific. He's good uh, because and it's gonna be you know, just a review of Casino Royale. He's good because it's it's so like he's so like out of his depth where he's like presents himself a certain way, but he's really just a guy that owes money to people, and Bond keeps fucking it up for him. It's like it's really it's compelling yeah. drama for a Bond villain. That's like. I didn't expect any of this. To, I just thought I was going to blow up a plane and get some money. And now I got this guy ruining everything. For, I got to throw this casino game. I have to rent out a casino. I don't know how to rent out casinos. Like, it's just, like, it's just a lot of stuff that keeps happening to him. Like, I don't watch a whole movie of him, like, arranging all of this stuff to happen. And it keeps falling in his face. Like, that's, that's, I, I don't know what the Silva movie is that makes me that compelled in the same way as Le Chiffre. Well, like, you know, Le Chiffre is basically like, if you put all your, you put all your money on The Force Awakens topping the box office, and then, what the fuck, out of the chipmunks? Come on! <laughs> <laughs> I, um... I mean, I, I mean, Lashif probably is my favorite. I mean, I, I like the old school villains though. Like, I like Goldfinger because he's ridiculous. I like, I like that a lot. I like uh, uh, Michael Lonsdale and Moonraker because he's so, he's so annoyed by Bond because he's really applying yeah. the ointment for him to the point where it's like, I keep trying to kill you and you keep escaping it. It's really getting old hat here, guys. Like, let's let's do this. Like, there's something there. I just like the kind of megalomaniac nature of some of these guys and like how cocky they are and they're just like huh i can't believe the world famous spy that saved the world multiple times finally got me out of my evil plan it's it's something there that i enjoy oh oh red grant what am i talking about red fuck it red grant yeah robert sean from from much of the love (laughs) that's great that's great stuff um jordan did you have a favorite did you walk away with a favorite villain of all this uh yeah definitely elliot carver tomorrow never dies (laughs) yes <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fucking kidding. <laughs> it's the only one that makes me so angry that I can't even talk about it. Um, I don't know. I agree. I think that's one thing where Casino Royale and Skyfall are kind of tied for me is like they're both villains that really do a lot of scene chewing, and I enjoyed both of them. So, in all seriousness, I would probably say Lashi for Silva. Cool. Scott, did you have one? I'm tempted to be cliche and pick Alec Trevian because I love Goldeneye so much. That and would be my I, second. Yeah, that but he's pretty it's a good. terrific mix of megalomaniac, but an actual human being with relatable motivations and wants and desires. Um, and it's only his second time dying as a villain, so I mean that's something for it too. That too, yes. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Sean, was, Sean that, being it's, it's toward it's towards his early run of. Got him oh, done. Was like, he dies all the time. Like you're, oh, you're saying it in his in his timeline. I'm saying it's his second time. Yeah. It's like Patriot Games, and then this. <laughs> and that's and then it just started going. But that being said, I do I do adore how Mads Mikkelsen plays. You know, again, a desperate guy who's in over his head. Who, you know, would you know would rather not be the villain in the story. Would rather just count his money on an island and go about his business. Um. I do enjoy Hugo Drax as as an important example of autism representation. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what he was going for. 
as he as he <laughs> as he sicked the dogs on the woman that betrayed him. <laughs> I mean, he's clearly a stone cold psychopath. Um, but yeah, let's go with Alec Trevian. Uh, next question we have here: What's your favorite action scene from the Craig Bond era? Chris writes definitely the parkour chase in Casino Royale. Other thoughts? Action scenes? Oh, oh. Bond? Uh, Craig? Craig's Bond? I like the airport showdown in Casino Royale quite a bit. How it it you know it's it's a wonderful piece of rising rubber band rubber band tension that just pays off perfectly. Peter, mine would be Jordan, the parkour scene. Uh, I honestly think second is probably the Aston Martin scene at the beginning of No Time to Die. That it's super exciting, and it's not just the Aston Martin part; it's the motorcycle part too. But the parkour scene is pretty untouchable for me. Every time I saw that trailer with the motorcycle jumping up the side of that thing, I was like, this is the coolest thing. And then it does it in the movie, and I'm like, I have no diminished value in this. This is the coolest thing I can see. <laughs> it's, he it's... goes way too high. He guns it. Like, he didn't need to go that high at all. He almost smashes down on a bunch of monks yeah. walking across the street. <laughs> but it looked cool. Yes. Yeah, you know, I'd have to say I actually might agree with you guys. I might give Casino that parkour. Yeah, that's a pretty... It very much feels like classic movie defining moment of like an actor owning a yeah. I mean, when he burst through the wall, we were like, "This Bond means business." Like he's not stopping for nothing. Like he's on that he's on that weird scaffolding thing. Like that, yeah. That whole sequence is pretty awesome. Um, But 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 I do like that motorcycle thing in No Time to Die too. Um, Good, Scott. No, I, the parkour thing, I, obviously I like it quite a bit, but it's, it was a way of saying that, yes, this Bond is going to be a little bit influenced by, you know, the Bourne series and the gritty actioners, but it's still a Bond film. So they're fighting, you know, high atop a scaffolding and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's what I think the Casino Royale does so well, is that it never forgets to be a larger-than-life Bond film, even in this somewhat more grounded, you know, palette. And that's why, I mean, I, I think I... I mean, it's that parkour chase by default, just because of how just <laughs> how huge it is, how high it goes, and then it goes right back down again. But I really like that airport sequence too, Scott. Like that whole runway chase, mainly because of how devilish a grin Craig gives at the very yeah. end of it when he kills that, when he blows <laughs> the guy up without him realizing it. And it's the kind of the same thing in Skyfall, and that I think the cold open in Skyfall is pretty terrific. Um, yeah. But that's you know, Bond, you know, he's he's shot. And he gets off the crane that's, like, going through the train, and he has to jump on the train before it, like, falls away. And he does that simple, like, fix my jacket before I continue yeah, chasing the great. bad yes. guy. It's yeah. such a cool, like, this is James Bond. Like, you know, he's like, yeah, there's a lot going on, but there's no room, for, there's no time to not have style. Like, I can make sure my jacket's on correctly. None of us said that Skyfall fight sequence on the skyscraper, by the way, which I thought would come up easily. But that's, that's great too. Yeah, I, mean, I really like that also. That's um, like when you point to like why Deacons is great in James Bond. It's like, yeah, look at the Skyfall sequence where he's fighting next to a fighting guy next to a sky uh, the skyscrapers in Hong Kong. Like it's really cool. That feels a little short. I feel like that one was. I get. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I yeah, it's that, not uh, like a it's yeah. not like a series of it's just like one fight that happens. It's it's just really you know it's a nice one looking definitely scene. looks pretty for sure. Yeah. Uh, next question we have here: uh, Who would be a fun Bond character or villain to see return in the future? Chris writes Jaws. Jordan Grout, friend of the show, writes Boris. Uh, <laughs> Luke Thompson writes 
Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid from, of course, Diamonds Are Forever, and see if Crispin Glover will do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, that's they are my favorite parts of Diamonds Are Forever. So, what um, <laughs> what what any any characters you want to see return in future Bond movies? I mean, I honestly, don't want to see. Link. Oh, sorry. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Jordan, go for it. Okay, um, I'm a big proponent because I think I'm a little bit unlike Scott, where the man with the golden gun for me is super disappointing because. I want it to be like an assassin versus assassin type thing as it's kind of set up to be. And then it's, I think it ends all very lackluster. And, but that's one that like, I think rewatching all of them pretty close together as like this one more than almost any of them, I think needs a modern update of kind of a lower stakes bond, not necessarily saving the world, but just like assassin versus assassin. Uh, so I don't know if that Scaramanga would come back. Maybe they leave the third nipple back in the what sixties when No, 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 made. double it, double it, fourth nipple, make it happen. <laughs> nipple. He's a cow now. Yeah, exactly. Um, you casted the mind for me. That that one, I think, I, I think that would be really cool in like a modern. And it, they obviously can't do it with Craig anymore, but that almost maybe like a good opening. I don't, I don't know if you need to call it the same thing or have something as ridiculous as the Golden Gun, but just that uh, kind of plot beat of it really makes me want to have that come back. That's a cool, no, I, I don't disagree. I, I agree. I think the, I think the plot idea, you know, regardless of the overall plot and good night and all that stuff, I do think the concept of a guy who's just like on top of the world and is like, I just want to fight bond. Like, that's just a cool concept of like yeah. how you could do something more that would be smaller scale and something, you know, interesting and divergent from how we generally do these things. That'd be, that'd be a neat, thing to bring up again in some capacity oh and yeah for the for the record i mean my shock was mostly that i didn't hate man with the golden gun this time around you know prior to the big rewatch it was usually near the bottom of the list alongside you know specter die another day and diamonds are forever you know Uh, the man with the golden gun is a lot like the song where like the song's terrible but it's it's really catchy like you want to listen to it (laughs) like that's the movie for me. It's like, yeah, it's not good, but I mean, it's watchable. It's easy to put on. <laughs> Sheriff Pepper, of course, is, makes an appearance. So, you know, always... Oh, no. That's not the guy you want to bring back, by the way, George? You want to bring back Sheriff Pepper? For... <laughs> I'll, put my, I'll put myself down if, that, if he comes back in the new one. <laughs> um, let's see, next you question here. Want to see, you wouldn't want to see how, like, you wouldn't want to see Halle Berry return? Like, I mean, I thought she was... I don't love Die Another Day, but she was having a fun time. Weren't they going to do that? Wasn't that an actual thing at one point? Was yes, her I, it was. Yeah. Yes. And that didn't pan out for a variety of reasons. Uh, if, Peter Dance, to answer your question, no, because I don't I don't particularly like the character in the movie. Like, I, I, I don't disagree that she's, you know, putting the energy into it that's required. It's just I don't really... Didn't do anything for me. I was like, all right. <laughs> um, and honestly, I, I you know... I would, you know, regardless of not knowing exactly what they're going to do next, I'd happily see a lot of the supporting cast from this one of the last couple of films stick around. So here's, I mean, no, this, this brings me yeah. right to the next question. Say we'll be needing a new MQ and Money Putty in the next series no. of Bond films. Who do you want for these roles? We didn't get any response for this one, sadly. But any, now you're, you're saying you'd like to see these people return. Yeah, By, without, getting, without getting into things... There's such a finality to this, like, Bond film where I'm like, 
feels like they went out of their way to say that we're definitely going to recast these people in the next movie. Yeah, so. I, I, no, no, like... I, I get that. Um, it's just this is the first time that I can recall where I, I really had an emotional interest in. Well, that's not true. I like Judy Dench in the Brosnan ones, and I liked Desmond Lewin in the uh, well, the first oh, twenty. The others, movies. yeah. Um, but anyway, whatever. I mean, it's 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 if he had to. I mean, you would cast. I mean, any anyone can play these roles, to be honest. I mean, yeah, that's the kind of the idea. But is there any, yeah. anything that stands out? You're like, you know what? Who'd be a good cue? You know, I don't know. Leslie Jordan. Atkinson. Right. Yeah. Q. <laughs> or no, <laughs> better yet, make him M. He, you know, you know, he'd crush it though as Q. Like, you know, he'd come in and knock out the yeah, scene and be like, "God, yeah. he was really memorable." It's like, of course he was. Why wouldn't you think he would be? <laughs> Make him him then. Back in my dark times, when I was known as Johnny English, yeah. <laughs> I killed so many men. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I haven't thought of who I would cast. You know, I, I think you know a lot of people are wondering like who the next James, who they cast the next James Bond, but I have not thought. Hmm, yeah. who do I want as a new money penny or Well while you or, think about that, Peter, the next question we have here is who do you want to see cast as the next James Bond? <laughs> <laughs> Chris writes, always wanted to see Tom Hardy or Idris Elba take on the role, but it probably needs to be someone younger. Uh or uh let's see, he writes uh Reggie Jean Page, that's the what the actor from uh that show that uh, I don't watch. Uh, Bridgerton <laughs> would be a good call. Or Kaluya or Jamie Dornan. Most importantly, they all look mighty fine in a suit. Uh, Mark writes, I know this could be an unpopular opinion, but Timothy Chalamet. Now hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I can hear the pause when he wrote that. If the kid could gain some weight and bulk up, which is easy to do in Hollywood, he would make a fine choice. I would have I would have loved to see Idris, but he's just too old now. I, I mean, mean I, I mean, he's not English. So right there. No, 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 no Chalamet. <laughs> That's what I say. I mean, I would actually say. Well, I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, we'll have to see how he ages. But someone like Tom Holland feels more like maybe when he's in his 30s, maybe more than to me Chalamet. If we're I going think he's got that. the Leonardo DiCaprio thing where he's not going to look like an adult till he's like. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah that's. And even then, you have to play like a corrupt cop or something and yeah. shot in the face before you start taking him seriously as an adult. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. my, um, I know the one that I think would be a great choice, and I know I've said it to you, Aaron, is uh, Dev Patel. I agree. Yeah. I I think he's the right age. He looks good in a suit. He's, you know, he's, he's handsome, charming. I think there's something you could really do with, you know, his background and how that weighs against the Bond franchise. I think that's absolutely interesting stuff. Arguably the first Bond actor, like, don't you dare shave. Jordan, what'd you say? I'm sorry. I thought Dev Patel was older because I think that's my biggest thing is like people think the age doesn't matter, but it really, I mean, it. If Idris Elba did one, he would only get one. So yeah. people are like, oh, I want Idris Elba. I'm just like, absolutely not. You can only get one. <laughs> well, that's what I'm I wanted it too, but his, his time has passed. If they're going to um, commit to doing – I think John doing... Boyega is another one that he's pretty young. I'm typing in. Yeah, I mean, Patel Patel is 31, so they're usually like – Boyega is 29. They're about 35 when they have their first Bond movie, right? So that's 30, about 32 right. is Connery, I believe. I mean, yeah. They're... Oh, so – Patel, I think he is he's perfect, like age wise. Um, Idris, I completely agree, Jordan. I think it would it would have to just be a one off, and then that's he could lame. be M. Yeah, that would be dope. I'd like. Oh, that. he could be M. or Money Punny, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
And I, and I think that I think if it was going to be Tom Hardy, it would have been Tom Hardy instead of Daniel Craig. I don't think it's going to yeah. be. I, yeah, Tom, yeah exactly. Tom Hardy's Just, old now, too. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anybody else, though. Like, who else would be like a British? I mean, I agent? I don't know like, that. I don't know this Bridgerton show, but I do. You know, I've only seen Paige on Saturday Night Live. And from there, I'm like, yeah, I could see it. Like I is kind of like before I even realized that that was like a thing that's been considered. I'm like, oh, this guy, okay, I, I get, I, I could see that happening, but I don't, yeah. Beyond that, you know, you know, one of those, what, what, what's his name from Game of Thrones? Rob Stark. He seems like he throw, they throw him in the mix all the time as well, too, right? I'm not sure I'm in support of the name I'm about to read. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know. I like some of his movies, but Henry Cavill is 38 years old. He just seems like he's too much of a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have a requirement that he, in each of his Bond movies, he would have to do the uh, Mission Impossible, like one, two air punch to fix his shirt. <laughs> I just, I basically played the role in Man from Uncle. And in Man from Uncle, it looks like yeah. any second he's going to hulk out of the suits that he's wearing. So it's like, yeah. this guy's yeah. too big. Yeah, Bond. he may be too big. <laughs> He's also busy. He may not. Yeah, it's the other thing. Yeah. He's also busy. He's he's too busy being a video game freak that loves The Witcher. It's like I get to play The Witcher, like so. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. All right. Last question we have here. What star had the best final film for characters that played they played multiple times? So uh, Chris writes Christian Bale in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Todd has Christian Bale, Robert Downey Jr. for Endgame, and Boris Karloff for Son of Frankenstein. And Nate has Logan. So who had the best farewell? So the last film? film has to be the best, is the rule. Uh, no, just I mean, who, who, no, just no, just who had the best farewell film? Oh. Okay. You know what's weird is that I know people have issues with the uh, uh, with Han Solo's death in Force Awakens, but spoilers. I I'm kidding. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, spoilers. <laughs> Six year old movie, like, uh, but I I gotta say I because um and I don't hate i don't hate crystal skulls like a lot of people but i will say that crystal skulls and even to a degree some of some of um harrison ford's performance in return of the jedi where i don't think the character has much to do i was really surprised at how much of his a game ford brought to like he really felt like han solo i was like wow man it's like he's got he's got the timing down he's got the humor i don't know if that's necessarily the best but it really put a smile on my face. Again, I'm not necessarily talking about how he dies and all that stuff. But I think Ford was, like, after so much time, unlike Indiana Jones, I really felt like he seemed like Han Solo. Yeah, but yeah. unfortunately, Peter, that wasn't his final time as Han Solo. It was in the bad film Rise of the Skywalker, so it doesn't matter. Oh, my matter. God, I forgot about <laughs> Which, to be fair, he's about that. very good uh, at that 10-second scene. I honestly don't think he's very good at that 10-second scene. He's better than Mark uh, Hamill is, so I'll give him that. But Yes. I don't think he's bad. I just think it's like, I guess I showed up and didn't shave, but I'll give him my guest ghost. And uh, I admired his chutzpah in that sense. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, the Mark Hamill thing's really weird because it's like he has no dialogue – in Force Awakens with J.J. Abrams directing him. Then he's then I think he's terrific with Ryan Johnson directing him. And then I'm like, what is he doing in Rise of Skywalker? Yeah, I don't know. It's what well, maybe- not to get into the Star Wars discourse again, but <laughs> Carrie Fisher's terrible in The Force Awakens. She's pretty damn good in Last Jedi. And one of the many problems with Rise of Skywalker is that her deleted scenes are from The Force Awakens, where she's yeah, terrible. Yeah, that's true. I guess with Carrie Fisher, I thought maybe she just hadn't acted in a while. I was like, ah, could maybe. be, yeah. And I, so I don't blame Abrams on that, but I blame but him he, a little d- bit. but I think he's, but I got a got a good performance out of Ford. I mean, that's something. 
I no, mean, he is very good in that picture. Ford's also consistently worked for 40 years. True. Yeah. True. Right. Unlike the other ones. But Jordan, anyways, what else? Jordan, what did, you have a fa- did you have a favorite in all this? Uh, I agree with the comment that person wrote. I think I would also add just, I initially think of pretty much the entire Lord of the Rings cast. Ooh, uh, that's a good answer. There we go. I feel like yeah. that's a good one, particularly probably like Viggo Mortensen. So that probably yeah, those that were smart enough not to show up in The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like Orlando Bloom's pretty good at The Hobbit, though, when he gives that oh, look. Yeah, where he's like, when he gives that look, where he's like, "You made me bleed my own blood," and he has to like go on a one-man crusade against yeah. one orc for the rest of the series. <laughs> um, Remember that there are Hobbit movies. Those are those are movies. Um, <laughs> I wish Freddy versus Jason didn't exist, because then I could say Robert England New Nightmare. He's still pretty good in Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah, well, like he's having fun. Mm. Oh, okay. Jeez. It's not a Sorry. Shakespeare. The acting wasn't up to your like... par in Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, I've, seen, I've seen him do better. <laughs> I guess we're talking about the best final films, and yeah, New Nightmare is a yeah, better yeah. movie than yes, Freddy vs. Jason. Yes, it is Jason. more of an acting in New Nightmare. Yeah, that's true. All right. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> as we end all Bond conversations, that's Freddy Krueger for you. So with all that said, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I also write for WeLiveEntertainment.com for movie reviews, Why So Blue for Blu-ray and Criterion reviews. I'm on Vidriety sometimes, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, Peter Paris, where can people find more of you? Uh, I write at WhySoBlue.com, and I'm also I'm also usually weekly on another podcast called um, TV Campfire, which is about television shows. Okay. Uh, Jordan Rath, where can people find more of you online? Uh, yeah, they can pretty easily go to rathsreviews.com, also on Facebook, also on Instagram. And if you're trying to look for my James Bond-esque novels, they're on Amazon under author name J.T. Rath. Great. Scott Mendelson. Uh, Forbes.com, the ticket booth. <clears throat> I would, the easiest thing would be to Google some form of Scott Mendelson, Forbes, the ticket booth. But don't click on the angry YouTube videos. That's not me. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson, and yeah. Great. You can find all the other episodes about now with Aaron Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast, and instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. You can follow all those pages. We got updates and all kinds of things over there. Um, let's see. Our horror episodes are coming out weekly, so stay tuned for more of that fun. Uh, next week, what are we doing next week? What comes out? What's the movie? It's Halloween Kills, of course. We're talking Halloween Kills next week, and of course, that's exciting. It's a horror month, so why not talk about that? And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So I want to thank, once again, Scott Mendelson, Peter Paris, and Jordan Rath for joining Woo-hoo! me for this extended Bond discussion this week. Yeah, so much fun. We'll do it again another six years. <laughs> Thanks for having me. For sure. Glad to have all you guys here. I got a lot out of this conversation, and that's going to do it. So, until next time, so long. And goodbye. That I've fallen for a lie. You were never on my side. Fool me once, fool me twice. Higher than the paradise. Now you'll never see me cry. There's just no time to die.
they are. I'm looking forward to who's, it. Who's, who's, Even so, though someone I mean, got attached ben to that. Who's directing, directing that one? It. Ben what? Wheatley. At first, at first I, I heard Ang Lee. I'm like, what? No, no. <laughs> ben, ben Wheatley. Yeah, I heard you now, but at the, the start of it, it's like, okay. <laughs> Which, uh, I mean... And, uh, Ron, Ron, yeah, exactly. and, and Rami Malek's there off his mask that we only see once. Uh, see, like a good bit. I'd like to see more of Rami Malek, like, visiting people on Halloween or something with the mask on. <laughs> like, was that his deal? Like, he just shows up with the mask because... I don't know why. Like, <laughs> I think he was just when he does a hit, that's how he conceals his identity. I, I guess, I, but it's like his hit was I'm gonna kill three people in the middle of nowhere. Like, who the fuck was gonna yeah. care if he wore a mask or not? <laughs> 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 or if there was like some like if whatever if Mr. White killed his family with that same mask. One thing, Mr. White's kinkier than I thought, but also okay, that's a weird <laughs> like, thing to do. 